1: Question for you. Do you have the same religion now that you did a year ago, five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago? How about the same religion that you had when you were a child? Because there are some very interesting numbers. And it looks like a rising number of Americans are switching religions. I was aware that a lot of Americans were moving towards kind of no religion, Nuns, N O N E. But I don't know that I was aware of the widespread number of Americans who are admitting that they used to follow a different religious tradition or denomination than the one that they practice now. And what's interesting about this is this is a percentage that keeps growing, according to a new survey. The uh, Nearly a quarter of Americans say they used to follow a different religious tradition or denomination than the one that they practice now. This is from um, uh, PRRI, the, which is a pretty reputable uh, polling group. PRRI. This jump in religion switching comes as a lot of Americans say they no longer believe in their initial religion's teachings, or in many cases, Disagree with a religion's stance against certain issues or disagree with their approach on LGBTQ plus people, according to this poll. More Americans are also turning away from Christianity and are seeing themselves as unaffiliated with any religion. Those are the so-called nuns I was talking about. Even as some conservative Republicans, not to make this a political issue, seek to inject religion into public life in a greater way. Uh, Certainly, people like Mike Pence are hoping that's his ticket to the Republican nomination. We'll see where that goes. More Americans. um, So the nonpartisan Public Religion Research Institute did a survey of people across the country, and they found that 24 percent of Americans say they've changed religious traditions or denominations over their lifetime or recently. Now, how does that compare to where we've been previously on that? That is a 50% jump from 2021. I mean, 50% in just two years, when 16% said they had switched. The people who are members of other non-Christian religions or religiously unaffiliated were the most likely to say they had switched from a different religious tradition. About one in four Protestants of color, white evangelical Protestants, and Hispanic Protestants say they previously practiced or followed another religious tradition. I am curious if this applies to you. I'm going to give you some, some other numbers in a moment. But have you changed religions? And if so, why? What, what's made you change a religion? 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. This survey of over 6,600 U.S. adults conducted last year showed that the number one reason that people change religious denominations is because they stop believing in the religion's teachings. That's 56%. 30% say it's because of negative religious teachings about LGBTQ plus people. 29% say it's because family was never that religious growing up. 27% say scandals involving leaders in former religion. 18% say a traumatic personal event. And 17% say that their church or congregation became too political. What applies to you, if any? 800-848-9222. I'll be honest, I think I would be a part of this because I grew up and was raised in the Catholic Church received all my Catholic sacraments as a as a youth. But over the last maybe ten years, I have migrated more to the Episcopal Church for a variety of reasons. I, I am much more comfortable with a lot of the Episcopal teachings on uh, allowing priests to marry, for instance. I'm uh, much more comfortable with where the Episcopal Church is on allowing women to serve as priests. I have never been a believer in the miracle of transubstantiation, even when I was a child, and it was explained to me in catechism. And in the Episcopal Church, they don't really teach that the, uh, the host, the communion, is the li- literally the body and blood of Christ. It's more symbolically the body and blood of Christ, which I can get behind. And um, there was a number of other reasons, part dogma, part cultural, and part the hierarchy of the church. I've never also been a big believer in papal infallibility, which um, you, you don't have to worry about in the Episcopal Church. So I think I would be part of this. But uh, among those who switched, 56% said they changed because they stopped believing in the religion. But most churchgoers do not believe their current church is more divided by politics than it was five years ago. So I was happy to see that. Only 13% say their church is more politically uh, divided. There, According to the CEO of PRRI, what Melissa Deckman told Axios, there's essentially kind of a paradox happening. On the one hand, there is more religious churning there are also more people in America who are becoming less, Ameri- uh, less religious. Among Americans who still go to church on a regular basis, they still seem to be pretty happy with what's happening in their churches. The members of Generation Z, who are now ages 11 through 26, are switching and shunning religion faster as young adults than other Americans. I'm not at all surprised by that, to be honest. And that is expected to continue. What do you make of this, and have you changed religions for any reason? 800-848-9222. Speaking of the Pope, uh, there's a story I've had on my list for a while now. And uh, since we're talking about the Pope, talking about religion, I'll bring this to your attention. I happen to like Pope Francis, and I know a lot of people may disagree with his politics, and I get it. But he raised some eyebrows recently while discussing sex abusers, whom he labeled children of God— who deserve love and pastoral care, as well as revolting enemies who must be punished. The Pope made his remarks last month during a private meeting with a group of Jesuit priests in Hungary, but they were only published recently in an Italian Jesuit journal. This is what the Pope was quoted as saying. Quote, how do we approach, how do we talk to the, uh, the abusers for whom we feel revulsion? Yes, they too are children of God, but how can you love them? The 86-year-old leader of the Catholic Church was responding to a question from a Hungarian Jesuit who asked, the gospel asks us to love, but how do we love at the same time people who have experienced abuse and their abusers? The Pope acknowledged that, his, that the answer to this powerful question was not easily at all. Not easily, um, not easily at all. That's his words. I'm not misspeaking. Um, Francis explained that a sexual predator was to be condemned, but as a brother is still deserving of of love and care. There's a logic, a form of loving the enemy that is also expressed in this way, and it is not easy to understand and to live out. The abuser is an enemy. I'll be honest. Everyone made out as if he was saying something that was wild and controversial. This is pretty consistent with what the pope has always said. And what Jesus always said, you have to love your enemies, no, you, including people who've committed the most horrible sins. He's not saying these people shouldn't be punished. He's saying they should be condemned and punished, but also get pastoral care and that they are worthy of love. I think that's a message that's pretty consistent with what Jesus was saying. 800-848-9222. And then the last story that I'll mention on the religious front, there is a surge In one specific type of religious club in schools, after school—I'm not joking about this. This is from The Hill. After school, Satan clubs have been steadily increasing in popularity and are not likely to slow down as their supporters are racking up media attention and legal wins fighting for free speech. The clubs associated with the Satanic Temple and currently only offered in primary schools began at the beginning of 2020 and quickly gained attention from parents who wanted an alternative to religious clubs. That's according to the campaign director of the After School Satan Club. She told The Hill, that's kind of when things started blowing up, and I anticipate that every year moving forward is going to get busier and busier. Last Monday, the U.S. District Court for the Eastern District of Pennsylvania ruled in favor of the satanic temple and the ACLU which sued when a northampton county school district would not allow the club to meet at meet on its grounds in a victory for free speech and religious freedom a federal court has ruled that the uh, school district must allow the after school satan club to meet in district facilities now it seems like the courts are on pretty solid ground here in terms of the first amendment I'll tell you what conversation I am not looking forward to ever having with my son when he's about 10. If he comes home from school and said, you know, dad, they just started an after school Satan club at our at my school. I'd like to stick stick around for a meeting. Oh, really? Oh, really? We'll see how that conversation goes. I um, it's clear this is not an accident. This is by their own admission this is a concerted effort by the Satanic Temple to up the number of after-school Satan clubs there are. I do wonder, you know, I hate to make everything relevant to a Star Trek episode, but do you remember what Spock says at the end of the episode, Space Seed? I'm just thinking of this now. I should have pulled the audio. But what Spock says at the end of the episode of Space Seed, it would be interesting to revisit what uh, in a hundred years, I'm paraphrasing here, what has grown from the seed that we have planted here today, and that's why the episode is called Space Seed, and while they didn't wait twenty years hundred years, they waited 20 years, and that's basically the plot of Star Trek II: The Wrath of Khan. And I really wonder about this, given the fact that there are a growing number of Satan clubs and they're targeting young people. What does that portend for 50, 60, 70 years from now? I do wonder. I don't have an answer, but I, I, I can't imagine it's something good, honestly. I, I, look, I'm for free, free speech, freedom of expression, freedom of religion, and if they have a right to do it, they have a legal right to do it. But it is not a conversation that I'd like to have with my child. Saying they want, they're curious about the after school Satan club. There's a pretty girl going, and you want to go along and see what it's all about. That is not a conversation I'd want to have. Hopefully, I mean, my son and everybody's son has a firm enough grasp of their own self and their own values and their own religious convictions, whatever they happen to be, that they don't necessarily want to be a part of an after-school Satan club. But I guess you never know until you know. All right, 800-848-9222. We have a religion trifecta today. More Americans losing their religion. The Pope says that uh, sexually abusive priests are deserving of condemnation and pastoral care and a growing number of Satan clubs in after-school groups around the country What does it all mean? Pick a comment on any or all three. 800-848-9222. 800-848-9222. Steve is in Elmont. Hello, Steve.
2: Hi. How are you doing, Frank? Uh, Great topic. I think about it often myself. Um, I was uh, raised as a Catholic. Went to Catholic school. Went to Sunday school. Was an altar boy. Um, As I got older, I looked into a lot of other religions until I got to a point where I was just sick and tired of religion and was about to quit. But I think science is what has me believing in God even more than religion. So um, I don't know if I have a name for what I believe in now, but I believe in God. I believe in something greater than me. Well, that's interesting. Think-
1: do, do, do you, do you, att- and it's fine if you do or you don't. I mean, uh, a lot of Sundays I don't end up going to church myself. But do you go to any, any church services now? You said you believe in God. Do you, do you participate in any sort of religious observance? No,
2: no not at all. I'm also, I'm also Haitian, so I believe in traditional Haitian and ancestral acknowledgement. Um, I believe in, like I also said, science, God of the universe. So a lot of the books and a lot of the, you know, from um, from Islam to Buddhism mm. to Judaism, which is great because I actually just came from my first Jewish wedding. Oh, and Mazel Tov. Incri- oh, it was great. It, they turned up so much. And Cipriani... They, they had the chair and the people was up in the air. I was like, "Oh wow, do we all get a chance?" But I found out was that is it's only outstanding.
1: That's the very chair. funny. That thank you, Steve. You know, you don't have to be Jewish to do that. I mean, we did that at our wedding. We had some Jewish friends of ours that uh, lifted both my wife and I, uh, my wife and me, up on the chair. We did the they called the Hoff Tour. It was a lot of fun. 808-4892-22 One have you ever changed religions? If you change, why'd you change? Two, what do you think of the Pope's comments on the sexual abusers being worthy of pastoral care? Three, what do you make of this uptick in after-school Satan clubs? And let me tell you what's coming up in 10 minutes. Very excited. George Papadopoulos is going to be here. George Papadopoulos, who really—I don't want to get get too editorially here— but he got railroaded, as far as I'm concerned, with the Mueller probe. Got a raw deal. And according to the Durham report, the FBI was guilty of tremendous misconduct as part of that whole Russia probe. And so I'm going to get his take, see if he feels a bit vindicated, because some of the things that came out in the Durham report are things that Papadopoulos has been saying for three years. 800 Joanne is in Westchester. Hello, Joanne. Hi. Yes. How are you? I'm doing well, John.
3: Good. Good. God bless. Um, I let's see about Papalap Papalapagus. Just say it again. Papalapagus. Whatever. Yeah. I think Uh, we had a friend. We it's Papalapad with a D. We had a friend Papalapagus. That's why I keep saying that. Gotcha. But I did watch him over the weekend a few times. Very impressed and very, very upset about it. I'm very upset about the whole Russian collusion hoax. I am so disturbed, but I'll do that on one of my other shows. I do Westchester shows, too. Um, there are about three of them tomorrow that I'll be on. Um, but I'll tell you what, as far as the the Satan Club thing, I would try—I uh, would hope that my children—my children are older, though, so it's it's more like my grandchildren now, the oldest of whom is eight and four of them down— um, I would hope that they would even discuss such a thing before doing it, before just going um, with—well, uh, well, well my, my kids know what they do after sure. school, so I think they'd be very up on that. And I think it's not—to me, not advisable, recommendable. I just think it would be—it could be disastrous, in fact, in my opinion. Okay, so I was raised as a Roman Catholic also, um, and I think that, you know, hey, look, in the Bible it says, do not harm the children. So that, from way back— and I, I just feel that they've done a lot of things. I love my religion, though. And I feel, and I've always said to them, and we have a lot of Jewish friends also in the family as well. But I said to my kids, um, look, I don't care you know, who you marry. That's Listen, totally, you do what you have to do in life. However, I would not like to see you change your religion. If someone wants to change their religion for you, it's okay. But you were born a Catholic. That's what we've always practiced. And that's what I would like to see them practice and keep with. However, however, that's not to say that there are a lot of things that I am against in our religion. There are a lot of things that are just man-made and and just a lot of things ludicrous in our religion. Well, so given that, Joanne,
1: given that, uh, what you just said, why would it be such a personal affront to you if one of your children were to choose to change religions when they got married?
3: I don't know. You know, I had a niece, actually two nieces on both sides of the family, ran around looking from church to church, religion to religion. They actually went to services. They sat in on They did. They went to one church that was, I think it was primarily like Hispanic, that particular one. And they locked the doors after they were in there. And, I mean, it just my brother-in-law couldn't even go to the christening. He was so upset about it. I don't know. I don't know. Um, You're right. Uh, You know, perhaps we could look for other things. I, I don't know. I just feel this is what I was meant to be and I practice. and yeah. tell you two, No, I get not it. I, I get it. I totally get it. Joanne, thank you. I
1: want to try and get to some other people here as well. And I relate to what you're saying. I don't want to get too personal here, but my my mother-in-law is a very devoted evangelical Christian. I don't know if she goes to church every day, but I, I think she is. She certainly prays at length every day, and she's very active in her church. And she raised all, my wife and all eight of my siblings-in-law ...as evangelical Christians, and that's why they had so many children. In in her words, they were building an army for Christ. And my youngest sibling-in-law decided to follow a different path, not only choosing to practice Judaism, but become a very strict Orthodox Jew. Now, I my mother-in-law is not one to complain to me, certainly— but she was not at all too happy about that. And it's uh, caused, I think, a great deal of turmoil. So what you're describing, Joanne, is very common. I get it. Uh, but I think you always just have to keep in mind that whatever decisions people choose to make, religious-wise or relationship-wise, there's still family, still somebody you love, right? 800 Sally is in Lodi. Hello, Sally.
4: Oh, yes. Hi, Frank. So nice to talk to you. I listen to you so much. Oh, thanks. Welcome. Well,
1: I'm so glad you did I hope you'll make it a habit now, Sally.
5: Uh,
4: Okay. Thank you. What's on your mind? Well, what's on my mind is the most important thing is for people to have a personal relationship with Jesus and that's what he wants that's what he offers us and it's very important to go to a church that does teach the bible preaches the bible teaches how much god loves us and it's good to be around other believers that you could communicate with we pray for each other we we bear one another's burdens we have good friendship good relationship but the most important thing is for your own personal relationship with god and everyone can have that they only have to ask the lord into their hearts receive him receive the holy spirit and my whole life has changed when that happened so you you changed religions well i was raised catholic and then when i was 18 i really had a spiritual hunger and a search i think i wanted more something deeper and then I went off on this journey for many years, searching, going here, going there, going here, going there. And I think the Lord was letting me do that because when I finally came back, I said it was Jesus all along. Wow. Jesus well, knew who you so you then- as a child.
1: That's wonderful. That's great that that was such a positive experience for you. And I think a lot of people are going to be responding. And thank you for calling. And I hope you call again. And I'm not being uh, curt with you. I just want to try and get to some other people. You know, I'm reminded in listening to Sally's story. And look, we want everybody listening to this show, whatever your religious beliefs or if you have no religion, whatever the case may be. But I'm reminded in listening to Sally's story. I'm a fan of pro wrestling. Right. And I love These wrestling documentaries. If there's a wrestler that I grew up watching, I love reading their books and following their career. And you know what's amazing is how many wrestlers all have found God, and specifically Jesus, in a similar relation, in a similar manner to what Sally described. Uh, If you watch the A and E documentary on Shawn Michaels, same situation. If you watch the A and E documentary on Lex Luger, same situation. If you watch the Ted DiBiase documentary, "The Price of Fame," same situation. Although I think those guys were all much greater sinners than it sounds like Sally was. Uh, but uh, if you read Arn Anderson's book, "The Enforcer," Arn Anderson, if you read his book, very similar situation. And superstar Billy Graham, who we just lost, we not exactly the same situation because he became a Christian prior to becoming a wrestler. But the whole reason that he chose the name Superstar is because of the show Jesus Christ Superstar. It's not me saying that. That's what he said. And the whole reason he picked the name Billy Graham is because of the evangelist Billy Graham. So it is interesting how uh, people – and I think that was the case with my mother-in-law as well. I think my mother-in-law grew up uh, basically as a secular Jew, and she – I think around the time she was a teenager – Became uh, evangelical along those similar lines. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. We're going to talk to George Papadopoulos in a moment. Linda is in Brooklyn. Hello, Linda. Linda. All right. Joe is in Queens. Hello, Joe.
6: Yeah,
7: Frank. I'll make two quick points. One, if you want to research what the Pope's saying, there's a there's a Catholic website that has a lot of articles, daily fresh articles. Uh, news dot com. But on the issue of migration, I, I kind of always done that a little bit, even though, you know, uh, I was Catholic, uh, you know, strictly. Uh, for example, you know, even when I was grammar school, I read a book on prayer, which wasn't Catholic. And well, I said, what was
1: what was the denomination of that prayer book? Uh,
7: it was probably not Catholic. It was probably some Protestant guy. Gotcha. But okay. Like I've always. But but uh, here's one thing. How? Uh, The guy, he said, be specific in prayer, and he gave the example of someone that was praying for a car, didn't get an answer, and then he named the type of car and the color of the car, and someone... You don't ring his store bell and gave him the car. Now, I don't believe the story, but I still remember the story all these years later. So my my thought is, like, if someone's said, if I, I would read a book Protestant-Catholic, I would listen to a sermon Protestant or Catholic if they're interesting and, and if I'm interested. you know. So I, I I don't limit myself reading material or listening material. To, uh, I just avoid the stuff where they mention Satan too much, ironically. I don't like, you know, a little bit, but I don't want to hear about, like, how Satan's I gotcha. around every corner. Yeah.
1: I got gotcha. you. Okay. Hey, Joe, thank you. Uh, George Papadopoulos is waiting in the wings. Very excited to talk with him. A lot of people believe George has been vindicated as a result of this Durham report. We'll get into his analysis of this in a moment. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead.
0: The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano.
1: This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Moreno. I tell you, I have been incredibly eager to chat with George Papadopoulos ever since this Durham report came out. But I actually wanted to make a bit of an effort to read as much of the Durham report as I could. Now, I did not read all 360-something pages Of this uh, Durham report, but over the weekend, especially on Saturday with the rain, I did uh, make an effort to go through this. And I think, you know, kind of where I come from. I look at I try to call him as I see him. Uh, I uh, don't really consider myself right wing or left wing, but I tried to look at this report as objectively as possible. And even though I voted for Donald Trump, if this was an investigation into, I don't know, uh, whatever, uh, uh, Benghazi, and it showed a similar degree of misconduct, I'd like to think I would be just as outraged. This report is absurd. It, it, the report itself is not absurd. The findings of this report are absurd. This report is, in my judgment, a an incredibly damning look at the FBI Um, There is so much valuable information here, including affirmations about bias and a lot of serious issues at at the FBI, what they were choosing to investigate, how they were choosing to investigate, what they were choosing to not investigate. So um, one of the people that was sort of a victim of the Justice Department before it was fashionable is George Papadopoulos. A lot of you might remember the name. He is an energy expert. He was a former member of the Foreign Policy Advisory Panel to Donald Trump's 2016 presidential campaign, was prosecuted by Mueller. I think he got ultimately 16 days in prison, ultimately pardoned by President Trump. He's a best-selling author. His book, Deep State Target, How I Got Caught in the Crosshairs of the Plot, to bring down President Trump is an eye-opening look into what happens when you're on the receiving end of a, uh, an electron microscope that's being conducted by the Justice Department. George Papadopoulos, thanks for staying up late with us.
8: Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. I'm looking forward to this.
1: Well, it, no, the pleasure is all mine. Now, George, your case was six years ago. You were front page news all over the place. A lot of people may not remember the details of your case, and you wrote about it in your book, so I don't necessarily want to go into it in too much detail now, but a lot of people are going to look at the fact that you pled guilty to a charge of making false statements to the FBI. There's a lot of people out there right now who I'm sure think you're still some sort of a Russian stooge, when the reality is I think I say a lot more pro-Russian things on the radio than you ever did. But just explain to folks who may not have read your book or followed your your case, if you weren't colluding with the Russians on this uh, presidential campaign— why would you have lied to the FBI? And if you didn't lie to the FBI, why would you plead guilty to a, a crime?
8: Yeah, that's uh, that's a really good uh, those are really good questions. So uh, first and foremost, um, the president himself has recently been indicted. His house was raided. His uh, campaign chairman uh, was sent to solitary confinement. His uh, current uh, accountant is serving time in Rikers Island, I believe. General Flynn, others, uh, you know, the, the list goes on and on. Uh, what all of these individuals did not commit crimes. All of these individuals, just like myself, were the targets of an overzealous, politicized Department of Justice that was hell bent on assuring that they could put their finger on both not only the truth, but also the 2016 election. And as we saw with revelations coming out, the 2020 election with the suppression of the Hunter Biden story. So, the point of why i was forced to plead guilty is because when you're uh designated to be one of a handful of fall guys by a weaponized federal apparatus that wanted to assure that president trump would likely be impeached and removed with over with probably over a year into his administration you don't have many options at that point Uh, The entire media apparatus was uh, colluding with the FBI with this narrative that the president was a Russian stooge, that I was a Russian stooge, that we were all colluding. And uh, as you can imagine, with uh, 98 percent Democrat voters in Washington, D.C., I knew I would never get a fair trial. So I decided I'm going to lose the battle to win the war. And what do I mean by that? Winning the war eventually means getting the truth out. Immediately upon my name going public, I believe in October of 2017, a couple months uh, thereafter, my then-girlfriend, now-wife, started going on television, George Stephanopoulos, Hannity, Tucker Carlson. She started to say, there's a lot more to this story. This was a setup. People started to question things. Then uh, I think there was an investigation in the House led by Devin Nunes. He started to get information out there. That's when the Spygate narrative emerged. That's when President Trump finally went on offense. And that's what he saved his presidency. So that was a, a quick summary into what it feels sure. like to be in the crosshairs but also to fight back as well.
1: Yeah, and uh, if people want to hear the whole story in some detail, you you put it all out there in your book, Deep State Target, which I've read, which uh, even if people aren't conservative or Trump supporters, it's a really a fascinating look into how some of these cases get made and the pressure that there is when you're being investigated to plea. So just to be clear... You did not lie to the FBI, but this was a strategic decision on your part, and you knew that you would uh, be able to tell your story in the fullness of time and, um, and not have to spend a substantial amount of time in prison if you took the guilty plea route.
8: Well, look, you know, it, it, it's impossible to lie about a non-crime, right? I mean, right. when the when the Department of Justice uh, invents evidence and fabricates evidence and sets people up and then goes to a federal court and a federal judge and says this x y and z is all real when they know they're lying to a federal court like durham proved then it's impossible for me to have lied i mean basically i was uh, entrapped uh and i highly recommend uh, people to you know read the book and you could understand exactly how that entire process was laid out but the same thing happened you know with others including roger stone where they convicted him of lying to congress when he couldn't possibly lie about something that never existed so it was a a disturbing uh, strategy laid out by the DOJ to catch people in these very bizarre perjury traps at a chaotic time during the Trump administration. I had just been at the um, at the inauguration, and then uh, I left to go back to Chicago, basically uh, to go visit family before I was expecting to go back to Washington DC. And I'm caught off guard at eight in the morning with uh, two FBI agents at my house. You know, I didn't even to get a lawyer. I go to talk to them because I'm just you know a patriot. I love this country. I didn't do anything wrong. So I thought. There's no way that the FBI is looking to set people up. They just want information about any national security issues. That I was more than happy to oblige them. And then later you find out that they're texting one another, oh, we got this guy. We got him to say exactly what we wanted, Meet, just like they did to Flynn with a, with a declassified struck text. We'll get him to lie. That's the whole point, And just screw over Trump. And that's unfortunately the situation why the FBI has lost so much um, uh, credibility in the face of the American public today. So
1: there was a three years ago, four years ago, the Department of Justice Inspector General had a report that identified a lot of problems back then with the FBI probe. They said it was dysfunctional. They said it was rushed. But the Inspector General, they said at the time that they denied that there was any evidence of political bias or that the department did not have reason to open the probe when it did. The Durham probe goes much further. Uh, They identified a lot of those same shortcomings that the Inspector General report did, but they do seem to indicate that a lot of these errors, a lot of these omissions were at least in part due to uh, political bias. This really does go hand in hand with what you've been saying since uh, I met you five years ago and and read your book six years ago. Um, Is there anything that surprised you about the Durham report, anything that was included that you were unaware of anything that was not included that you expected to be in there.
8: Yeah. Okay. So, uh, first thing, uh, the two major distinctions between the Durham, uh, conclusions and the IG Horowitz's conclusion is first IG Horowitz says that there was a basis and evidence to support opening up an investigation. Durham overtly refuted that premise where he said that there was absolutely no foundation no evidence whatsoever and that there should have never even been an investigation launched by the FBI uh, the second thing that uh, Horowitz said was that there was no political bias like you just mentioned that the FBI are just you know a bunch of uh, choir boys and you know that are not involved in uh, you know calling they, they, they basically that they just called balls and strikes and that they had no a bias whatsoever towards Clinton or, or Trump while Durham on the other hand found that there was a two-tiered uh, system uh, including you know how they vetted information how they opened investigations and how they uh, you know continued investigations into both the Clinton Foundation and the Trump campaign by using this uh, overt bias which uh, obviously was made, was uh, front page news once the Peter Strzok and Lisa Page uh, text messages Uh, When public and when Mueller testified, when Jim Jordan was asking him about it, about them saying we have to stop Trump. So these were two major uh, distinctions between the two reports. Now, regarding evidence that I was shocked was not added into the Durham report, which should have been, was about two individuals, Joseph Mifsud and Stefan Halper. Joseph Mifsud is this overseas professor from Malta that I was meeting in Rome and London, who, uh, according to Comey and Mueller, And even Durham uh, was somehow involved in a conspiracy. Durham traveled to Italy with Barr, and that's how, uh, after they learned from the Italian government why this person was meeting with me, that's when Durham's probe actually became a criminal probe in nature in 2019. So when Durham didn't add him at all in the report, that was very suspicious. And Mm. the only conclusion I could draw for why he didn't add this person, being that he's the one that actually resulted in Durham's probe, becoming criminal in nature is that he's part of an ongoing criminal investigation that likely is targeting uh, individuals in the FBI. And the reason I say this is because while it wasn't covered properly in the mainstream media, about two months ago, Peter Struggs' boss, Charles McGonagall, was arrested at a New York airport on a series of federal charges, including foreign uh, influence peddling. This also wasn't mentioned in the Durham investigation or the Durham probe. So I think the reason you didn't see this stuff in his probe is because Durham knew one of two things. One, he couldn't win in a D.C. court. And two, if he did levy any recommendations for further prosecutions or added some of these other names who might or might not be part of ongoing investigations, he would lose credibility and uh, they would be tainted in the court of law based on how the liberal media attacked Durham. So uh, that's uh, what I'm predicting moving forward
1: uh based on what's in the report and some of the uh, the the stuff that uh, that uh, durham found here What do you think, because again, we're talking to an audience here, I don't think most people, I hope they do, but I don't think most people are going to read over 300 pages of this report. What do you think the greatest aspect of FBI misconduct was? I know there are many, uh, but if you had to pick one single greatest, most egregious aspect of FBI misconduct, what is it?
8: The greatest aspect of FBI misconduct uh, during that saga was uh, certainly the fabrication of evidence uh and uh, the entrapment schemes that went into uh, actually getting baseless uh and unlawful surveillance warrants against uh the Trump campaign and President Trump uh that not only affected the 2016 campaign but it also at the at the end of the day and this is what I always say Is that the american public are the ultimate victims here and if they could do it to a trump campaign or to a president of the united states they could do it to anybody and if they weren't held accountable in 2016 they could then do it again in 2020 and any potential future uh, elections moving forward and that's exactly what happened when the cia officials ended up writing this uh fake letter to suppress a hunter biden story that likely tilted the last election in 2020 to biden so This is the biggest issue. It's uh, how they were able to manipulate not only fake evidence, but then collude with the mainstream media to propagate this uh, this fake narrative to confuse American people uh, and just to really, uh, you know, violate civil liberties. So I think that's the major conclusion of what Durham uh, showcased here is that the American people at the end of the day were the ultimate victims.
1: Maybe you uh, can't know this, but I'm betting you have a hunch. Why do you think they went after you. It's easy to understand why they went after someone like Roger Stone. He's been associated with Trump and he was very well known for so many years. It's easy to understand why they went after someone like uh, uh, General Flynn, the National Security Advisor. It's easy to understand why they went after uh, President Trump's campaign chairman, Paul Manafort. Those were the top uh, level folks in the campaign or the most recognizable folks uh, in the campaign. Prior to your wife going on television and when you were in the midst of your thing, most people myself included didn't know who you were so why would the Mueller people and the prosecutors and the fbi why would they make you a target what's to gain by going after you
8: yeah no certainly uh i i uh i wasn't a public uh figure during you know, my time on the trump campaign and i did that intentionally even though they had asked me many times uh to go on television and represent the campaign i gave a couple interviews including to the times of london and also, I was the only campaign official that gave an interview to Russian media about what Trump had uh, in mind regarding that potential relationship moving forward. But uh, what I think happened is, I, I first, I worked for Ben Carson's uh, presidential campaign first, uh, and then I once he dropped out, then I joined Trump's campaign. So there was always this misunderstanding that I just kind of fell from, you know, the sky into Trump's lap. No, I had worked for, uh, pre- uh, for Ben Carson, obviously Ben Carson— endorsed trump they ended up getting closed and that's how that ended up happening now the reason i think i was um a a target was because i was based in london uh during the first couple months i was on the trump campaign and that's why you had all these shady characters these uh uh, foreign diplomats uh, who ended up being key figures in this entire scandal uh reaching out to me while i was in london or rome Uh, spying on me, recording conversations, putting together fake evidence like the Durham probe uh, explained about this Australian diplomat who basically, uh, you know, I've always said that he was there spying on me. And I testified under oath uh, in front of Mark Meadows and John Radcliffe that this guy was a spy. I don't know what on earth he was doing meeting with me. And then later the Durham probe says that this guy didn't even know what he was telling the FBI about me to help launch a fake investigation. So I think that's the primary reason is because being outside of America, it allowed these people to basically circumvent the U.S. Constitution. And I highly recommend your, uh, your listeners look up what the Five Eyes Intelligence Agreement is. That's an agreement between the United States and, five other, and four other countries, including the United Kingdom, Australia, New Zealand, and Canada, that allows their diplomats or their intelligence services to spy on American citizens. Uh, unlawfully, uh, basically without the Constitution protecting them. So that's why I believe you saw a lot of U.K. action involved, Australia and uh, even Italy to some extent, uh, because this was a dirty trick that they had to use to to basically evade the law of the Constitution.
1: You got to come back because we're just about out of time. I, I do have to ask you this, though, uh, George. Peggy Noonan had a column in the Wall Street Journal, and she's sort of a she's not a, a Trump person at all, by her, by her own admission. But she points out that uh, she acknowledges all the findings of FBI wrongdoing with the Durham probe, and she asked the question that I think a lot of people that aren't crazy about Trump are asking. She says there's still unanswered questions about. Trump and Putin, she says she has no reason to doubt the Durham report, but it's still curious that Trump treated Putin so gently. I've heard this from a lot of callers and others as well. Uh, Trump has no problem bashing other world leaders, other American politicians. They point out that uh, whether it's Helsinki or otherwise, uh, Trump always seems to pull his punches when it comes to Putin. What would you tell someone like Peggy Noonan or someone that believes something similar to that, George?
8: I would tell uh, Peggy Noonan, let's look at facts because facts speak louder than words and innuendo and conspiracy theories. During the Trump administration, Putin did not invade a foreign country. Under under George W. Bush, he invaded Georgia. Under President Obama, he invaded Ukraine the first time. During Trump, there was no invasion. And obviously, during Biden, we see this uh, this uh, potential for, for World War III. That's the first issue. The second issue is that by making NATO pay their fair share, Mm. it uh, emboldened NATO to uh, develop capabilities to deter any potential foreign aggression by any country, especially Russia, which obviously is designed to prevent. And third, and most importantly, because as you mentioned at the beginning of our conversation, I am somebody who started off my career in the energy industry. That's what my added value was to these presidential campaigns and what I still do to this day By unleashing the American energy renaissance in this incredible country we have and shipping American natural gas and oil to Europe and to other foreign governments and allies around the world, it allowed them to wean themselves off both Russian influence economically and politically while bringing them closer to America. This is not somebody who is a Russian stooge. This is somebody who just basically put America first, but by through his actions— was able to deter Russia's aggression and checkmated Putin, unlike any president in modern American history. George, I
1: appreciate the time uh, this morning. I'd love to talk a little bit more, maybe in the next week or two, about the political scene, what you're up to now, and where you see the country going in the next couple of years.
8: Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me.
1: Thank you. George Papadopoulos, you want to comment on any portion of our conversation, you're welcome to. 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight, straight ahead. Right, uh, Midnight I'm Frank Morano This is the Steve Miller band. Uh, this is one of those songs I could kind of take or leave. It's overplayed as far as I'm concerned. Um, all right. Hey, I don't want to rush anyone in terms of their phone calls. So Mickey, Linda, Larry, everybody that's on hold. I'm going to get to you after the top of the hour uh, because it's more fair to you. Certainly more fair to flair than if I give you 10 seconds to make what at sometimes might be a complicated point. So just bear with us, and we'll get to you after the top of the hour. I will tell you, we took Carmine for his second swim lesson today, or yesterday, and um, he didn't love it. He didn't love it. I wish I could t- say he took, he took to it like a fish in water. He did not. The water was too cold, though. He's shivering the whole time. His legs are stiff. It's indoor. I don't understand why the pool isn't heated to a point where these poor kids aren't shivering. A lot of the other kids had the same experience, but he's getting more and more comfortable, so that's good. Until next hour, help control the pet population. Get your dog or cat spayed or neutered.
0: This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano.
1: You are listening to a man that's very controversial. You would not believe the number of people. Do You hear all the controversial things that I say on this program? And the number of people over the weekend that reached out to me, taking issue with the fact that I said Nolan Ryan was the best pitcher in the last 50 years. I mean... You would think I was the head of the anti-Tom Seaver club looking at the emails that I was getting over the weekend. Guys, chill out. They're both great pitchers. All I said was, you know, keep in mind, I have, I try to answer these questions instantly. And the question was, who do you think the best pitcher of the last 50 years was? I said, Nolan Ryan, I gave my opinion. And you know what? How dare you? I'm sticking with it.
9: So there, yo, chill out.
1: All right, eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Everyone that's holding, I'm going to get to you in a moment. But what's your favorite position? No, come on, get your head out of the gutter. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about your favorite position to sleep in. What do you do? I um, I go every every which way, and I. What ends up happening with me a lot of the time is I start out because they. I always thought that the best position is to sleep on your side. And I start out sleeping on my side, and I always end up sleeping on my stomach. And an interesting thing happened. You know, it's funny. I talked about this with Daniel Barone, who's a sleep expert, Dr. Daniel Barone. He's a sleep doctor. We talked about this. In uh, September of 2021, let us go back in time, shall we, to September 12th, 2021, when we talked about the different sleep positions and what they supposedly do
5: for you. I, you know what I usually recommend people do is is go and go to bed in kind of the fetal position, right? So on their side, you know, there's a reason fetuses sleep that way. On their side, with their head and neck supported by a pillow, so the head is not caved one way or the other. Uh, maybe the hips and knees flex, maybe a pillow between legs for comfort, you know, in that in that fetal position. Uh, the reason why I say that is because being on, on the back, being supine, that's the worst position for somebody with sleep apnea. Because the tongue with in its relaxed state is gonna be much more prone to fall backwards and close off the airway. Right. So uh, most patients with insomnia, with, uh, with sleep apnea rather, will tell you, you know, I really can't sleep on my back. It's just very uncomfortable for me. My my body kind of doesn't won't, won't let me do that because I think on some level they know that they really have problems on their, when they're on the back. Sleeping on the stomach is good for sleep apnea, but you're putting a lot of pressure on the neck and the lower back when you do so. So I recommend trying to be on the side if you can in that fetal position.
1: So I often sleep on my back, excuse me, on my stomach. And a funny thing happened on both Saturday morning and Sunday morning when I woke up, I just, not that there was any major pain or anything, but my neck was, was tight. It was just uncomfortable. And I looked it. I, I felt it as soon as I woke up, because if you think about it, basically my body is curled like a, I don't know, like a, like a pretzel almost, in that I'm face down, but my neck is just being propped up. So you could see it's sort of my neck is kind of twisted because I'm on the the pillows. And it's a good pillow, too, that I have. And I came across a very interesting article because I'm interested in this. Uh, because I make an effort to sleep on my side, and then I just always end up on my stomach. And I just, I don't know, I love it. It's comfortable. But I read a very interesting article on this in popsci.com, popsci.com. And it says, as of, one, it says a lot of people are in pain. A 2018 CDC analysis showed that about 50 million Americans cope with chronic pain every day. While everyone's suffering is different, there are many sources of pain as people. Um, how you sleep plays a critical role. And apparently, most Americans sleep on their sides according to the National Sleep Foundation. Now, that's in line with what Dr. Daniel Barone was saying in terms of avoiding sleep apnea. But while many of them presumably do it without pain, this is not the best way to sleep, evidently. And I would not heard this until I read this article. It can cause shoulder and hip pain. On top of that, several studies have shown sleeping on your right side which is my favorite side to sleep on. I do. I know they say you're supposed to sleep on your left side. That's better for you for everything. But sleeping on your right side, for me, it's just a little more comfortable. I don't know why. But sleeping on your right side can aggravate heartburn. I have heard this. They don't know exactly why, but scientists think that's because lying in this position loosens your lower esophageal sphincter, the involuntary muscles that keep acid from rising up out of your stomach and into your throat. Sleeping on the left side, however seems to keep the trap door between the throat and stomach shut. So lefty sleepers are less likely to feel heartburn. That's the first thing they tell you. When you have heartburn, sleep on your left side. That's what they tell you. Shelby Harris, a sleep medicine expert and a professor at Albert Einstein, says there's no need to change your sleep position if it's working for you. But if you're waking up in pain, you can take steps to improve your situation. She says side sleepers should buy pillows that are thick enough To support their heads. Taking some of the pressure off their shoulders. Side sleeping is hardly the worst of it. Though they're rare. According to this article. 7% of stomach sleepers. Are likely doing themselves a world of hurt. First of all. I had no idea. That only 7% of us. Were out there. The stomach sleepers. That to me was. I thought stomach sleeping was. I don't know, like 20, 25% of the population. Apparently, I am part of the, the Suicide seven, 7, the Magnificent 7, 7% of people that sleep on their stomach. Because this position puts pressure on the entirety of their body, they're at risk of numbness and tingling. Now, thankfully, I haven't had that, but again, when I wake up sometimes, my neck is, is stiff. And it it does feel a little out of whack. And if they turn their head to one side or another to breathe, which I do, that further increases the possibility of muscle and joint pain. So if you're a stomach sleeper, what this person, uh, Ms. Harris, recommends is using a flatter pillow to reduce strain on your neck. Other doctors suggest putting a pillow underneath your forehead to elevate your mouth and nose. This lets you sleep with your face straight down eliminating that crick in the neck altogether. That's interesting. It's almost like a massage table kind of a thing where you can kind of just face straight down, but you have some room to breathe. I have not tried that, but I will. But what this article says is different from what Daniel Barone said. This article says back sleeping is best. Apparently, uh, only 8% of people sleep on their backs. If you're naturally one of them, Count your lucky sheep. Back sleeping is the best option for pain management as it allows your body to rest in a neutral position, which is great for reducing aches. Now, I read this article yesterday. And so I took a nap yesterday afternoon, I think when my son was taking a nap. So I said, let me try this because I've slept on my back before. And I stopped because Rachel complained uh, that I snored a couple of times, especially after drinking alcohol I would I would snore, and usually if you sleep on your stomach, you don't snore. So I think that's why I initially made the change. But I said, let me sleep on my back. If that's what this article recommends, so be it. And I slept on my back, fine. So I don't know if I should make the transition to back. I don't want to do that on the nights when I'm sleeping with Rachel because I don't want to elevate the snoring risk. But um, according to this article, it not for sleep apnea – But for aches and pains, back sleeping is best. So I'm curious what you do. Over the last 24 hours, I have been asking everybody that I've encountered about this. And I've gotten a whole bunch of different answers. My wife sleeps on her side. And she said, I don't know how you do that sleep on your back. I don't even know how you are able to make that work. Your neck is all wrenched. How do you make it work? So how do you sleep? And why is it a concerted effort that you make or is it just what happens? I'm a little bit of both. I, it is just what happens because I make the effort to sleep on my side. Cause I thought that's what you're supposed to do. And then I just end up on my stomach. I don't know why 800 848 Coming up, we're going to talk UFOs with uh, Jeremy Scott of into the power abnormal. He was at this great concert in, I believe it was Oregon over the weekend called a UFO Fest. I'd like to get there next year and do our show from there this year. I'm sorry we couldn't make it there this year, but I'm looking forward to hearing how it went and getting his take on some of the latest UFO news. Uh, but let me hear from you. You're welcome to comment on this or anything else that we're talking about. 800-848-9222, 800 Mickey is not only so fine, but he is in Canarsie. He's been patiently holding. Mickey, what's on your mind?
10: Frankie, how you doing, brother?
1: I'm doing great, thanks.
10: Good to hear. Uh, with all this Papadopoulos talk, his name was never mentioned with Parisma, was it?
1: Uh, no, not as far as I'm aware.
10: Right. So you have you have uh, Mickey uh, Whitey Bulger's kid, uh, a nephew. You have John Kerry's son mentioned that. In the Parisma, you have uh, Mitt Romney's son mentioned with some sort of connection to Parisma. It is mind-boggling. It is mind-boggling who the, these their bags are.
1: Yeah, and uh,
10: Frankie, but- I I am so happy that. You were out there and discussing all this.
1: Thank you. I appreciate that, Mickey. And I, I try not to do it in a partisan way. I'm very open about what my opinions are on certain subjects, and I disclose those to you. But uh, honestly, if this was an investigation, uh, an FBI probe into, uh, I don't know, the Clinton Foundation, and this had gone this same level of misconduct and bias, I'd be saying the same thing. Honestly, I'd like to think I would. I hope I would. But... Um, the, uh, just one quick note on the Burisma. There is a story there, but the scandal is influence peddling. Um, the scandal is the sons and relatives of all these politicians getting lucrative jobs because of who they're related to. Everyone always uses that, oh, Whitey Bulger's nephew. Whitey Bulger was, of course, a gang leader and a no- notorious criminal, so it sounds very salacious, very shady. Whitey Bulger's nephew. Now... Whitey Bulger's brother was Billy Bulger, who was Billy Bulger. Billy Bulger was the head of the Massachusetts State Senate for a long time, the most powerful Democratic politician in Massachusetts for years. And then he went on to become the head of, I believe it was the um, University of Massachusetts or Boston College, one of the major universities out there. So Billy Bulger, Whitey's brother, was a power player. Right. So the reason they hired Billy Bulger's son is because he was Billy Bulger's son. And he had a lot of influence with his father and state government in Massachusetts. It was not because of um, of anything having to do with Whitey Bulger, as far as I can tell. 800 848 Linda is on Long
6: Island. Hello, Linda. Hi, Frank. Um, I-, I don't want to waste time, but quickly I'll answer your question. Thank you. I do sleep on my back and anywhere, wherever I can, but I cannot sleep on my stomach because it hurts my breath. Okay. That's the end of that. Okay. I called about, I heard Giuliani this morning discussing the Durham report. Now he says, you know, the whole thing, of course, this whole thing, all this that costs this country so much money and how many people were hurt as your guest, how many people were hurt by this? And, and people became enemies. Everything happened because of this. And he said, the report actually says this whole thing was because of Hillary Clinton's 33,000 emails cover-up. You know, this your story that, you know, don't look at me, look at him. So they did that. They used the thing about Trump, all of them, just to get out of her crime. Um, now, and it came out seven years later. So legally, they can't do anything about that. But Giuliani said, we do have one thing that our country can do. We can do a." He said it's legal to do a RICO case. Yeah, civil because Rico. All civil of Rico. them, right? Because all of them, they have evidence. Now the report has the evidence. You know, everybody just knew about it or talked about it, but nobody had evidence. Now they have the evidence. And the whole thing with, like you you said, the Clinton Foundation, the whole thing was phony. Her whole thing, she's just a big phony, Hillary. But why did our country have to go through all this, right, just for this? Yeah,
1: it's a real—thank you, Linda. I I didn't hear Mayor Giuliani's comments, so I I can't respond to what he said about a Civil Rico case. But uh, he, even though he uh, doesn't—he's not admitted to practice law right now, he is a very experienced prosecutor and attorney. So I'm not going to— I'm not going to try to correct anything that he says about legal knowledge. I'll defer to his expertise on that. And um, again, I want to encourage you though, to do one thing, wherever you come down on this, because I know we, I think we're blessed to be one of the few shows that has a lot of listeners on all different sides of the political equation. If you like Trump, you should be furious with what the FBI did not because it was done to Trump, but because it was done in your name. And this investigation was an abomination. If you don't like Trump, don't vote for him. Contribute to the other guy. Run against him. Tell everyone why he's such a bad guy. But if you don't like Trump, you should be just as frustrated as a a Republican. So um, I, I think the issue here is not... Trump is the best and Hillary is the worst because it, it becomes very tempting to look at politics in these pro wrestling type terms. The issue here is the FBI really was guilty of egregious misconduct. Now, President Trump says it was criminal. John Durham basically did not. He brought three prosecutions, only one guilty plea or only one guilty conviction we can discuss each of those cases that are kind of complicated. The bottom line is this should not be a report that's only looked at by Trump people. This should be a report that serves as a blueprint for the first steps in reforming the FBI because the FBI is in dire need of reform. And if you can't stand Trump and if you don't want to vote for Trump, I get it, I understand. But if the FBI did this to Trump, And you're, you know, a Democrat or somebody that just doesn't like Trump. That means they can do it to someone that you like. The fact that there's this amount of misconduct within the FBI is alarming. But it's not surprising because we've chronicled, you know, I mentioned Whitey Bulger. It's interesting. Well, I didn't mention it. The caller mentioned Whitey Bulger. You know what the most amazing aspect of Whitey Bulger's case was? that the FBI agent that he was supposed to be helping was helping Whitey Bulger, a gangster, commit murder. The FBI agent. Now, you might think, okay, uh, that can happen. Well, the same thing happened with Lindley DeVecchio and Greg Scarpa. You might think, oh, okay, that can happen. The same thing happened with Frankie Blue Eyes Sparacco. And unfortunately, the culture within the FBI seems to be very toxic. And I don't know, I think it needs a full-blown colonic. And I think the sooner we can all look at this, because you know what's interesting now in looking at what's happening with Congress and um, TikTok, it looks like there's genuine bipartisan consensus on reforming TikTok, right? And we can discuss whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. But the point is, Everyone recognizes, Democrats or Republicans, that we've got a problem. I think we need that same degree of bipartisan recognition when it comes to reforming the FBI. And until we get there, I'm afraid that the country will just still be divided over this issue, which we shouldn't be. We shouldn't be. Eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. Al is in Manhattan. Al, what's your sleeping position of choice?
11: Is this Frank the Reverend
1: Hey, Al, we haven't heard from you in a while. Where have you been hiding?
11: Very sick, close to death. Somebody wanted to do my funeral. Guess what? He's been buried, so not Uh. so good. Anyway, listen, um, you're on a a, a path, I hate to say it, a glide path for Alzheimer's, eventually Curtis, people that can't get any sleep. It's imperative, imperative, sleep on your side. Why? Side, you said. You said side? Okay. Yes, by preferably the left, only because uh, your stomach's contents will go up your uh, esophagus if you sleep on your left. So listen, the reason why is this, cow and amyloid proteins every night get washed, meaning left to right or right to left, across your brain. If you sleep straight up, they don't do that. And what they do is combined with inflammation, which you can get from sugar and other things, guess what happens? No good. You're gonna lose your memory. You already have somebody in your family. It's that's bad right off the bat. They get somebody in your family. The fact that you're not getting seven or eight hours solid. How could you? You got a kid, right? And you got your job. But the very least you can do is first of all, when you sleep on your back, it's very bad. Your your palate goes backwards and you're blocking your airway. You need air. Ideally, you should have a uh, sleep apnea mask, which believe it or not, you do have it. You get the mask in three days, you can feel better. When you're up in the country, you know to feel better. The air's cool, then a lot, lot better, you know?
1: So sleep on your side if you can. You alternate left right, left right. All right. You well, know? that's one vote for side sleeping. Al, uh wishing you the best of luck with your health. Please uh keep us posted. And uh, even if you are close to death, I hope you don't die for a while.
11: Well, thank you very much. I don't mind dying. I just want to be the one that happens.
1: Well, I I I mind. I can't afford to lose a listener.
11: Easy. You can always get one down Dr. Dr. Liederman. Take it easy.
1: <laughs> Thank you, Al. Eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. 848 9222 9222 Hey, coming up in a minute, we're going to talk with uh, Jeremy Scott of Into the Power Abnormal, one of my favorite people to talk to. Great guest, great guy. Kathy is in uh, the East Village. Hello, Kathy.
12: Frank, hello. Okay, sleeping. I sleep on right side or left side, but long story short, I have—I had— have, um I could hear my heartbeat in one of my ears. What? So this one, yeah, for years and years, and I had all these tests and turns out I needed a complete mastoid ectomy where they cut the back of your ear and m- rearrange some uh, muscles. Oh my, night. that sounds awful. I, I, unbelievable. <laughs> unbelievable. Anyway, but it actually did work. Oh, so the whole heart, heartbeat went away because it would never stop. But, it was, I got sick recently with like a f- very bad flu, cold, COVID. I don't know what it was. But a lot of fluid got um, collected on that same side where I had the surgery. And this is just, I'm telling. I went in there and she said that sometimes happens with a cold. And she looked in and she injected she injected a needle into my eardrum and then put a hose into my eardrum. And she spent like 15 or 20 minutes removing fluid from my ear. So now when I sleep, it's like, you know, I get a popping noise, either left or right, you know, which is great because that means the fluid's disseminating, but uh, it's all about right or left for me at this point.
1: <laughs> uh, so what's your genuine generally favorite position? You prefer left or you prefer
12: right? Well, because of the popping stuff that goes on now, since I had that fluid, I have to say, you know, I always, I like to start on the left, but then I can't hear the radio quite right. So then I turn over to the right. So no, no, no. We need
1: like, you. We need you here in that radio. We make that your priority, oh, yeah, Kathy.
12: Yeah, so I usually start as the left, and then I turn to the right to hear the radio. So um, yeah, it's mostly right till I fall asleep. Then who knows what? I don't know.
1: All right. Thank you, Kathy. Best of oh, luck hey, to no. you. I'm, I'm glad that messed, that that uh, procedure <laughs> that you had went well.
12: I know, it's crazy. It's all about sleeping,
1: too, you know. Okay. Thank you, Kathy. Paul on Staten Island, sleeping position of choice.
13: Good morning, Frank. Morning. Yeah, it's it's my right side, but I, I went to a sleep clinic years ago, and he said the problem was with my snoring is I have an abnormally large tongue. So they they wanted to uh, shave the inside of my throat. I was like, get the hell out of here. You're not shaving my throat. So I've noticed when I sleep on my right side, I don't snore. I I can actually sleep all night on my right side. On my left, I can't. It hurts my left shoulder, and uh, I just I keep waking up. Do you find? Imagine that you know. Go ahead. Go ahead.
1: No, no. I was just going to ask. I mean, they say that the right side—if you sleep on your right side—that makes you more prone to heartburn. Have you found that to be the case?
13: No, not yet. And I used to get heartburn a lot. And for some reason, it just stopped. But I wouldn't get it while I was sleeping. Hmm. So I guess I guess it's I mean, I eat I don't eat bad stuff. You see, stay away from fast food. Maybe I was eat a lot of fast food that I, I don't do it. But yeah, it, it, it's I don't have any problems on my right side. Yeah. Um, imagine! I thought it was because other problems, but he said my tongue was too big. <laughs> hey,
1: I, I believe that. I believe that. Who, your <laughs> wife's a lucky lady, if that's the case, Paul. Thank you. Hey, um, uh, one of the uh, one of the things that uh, that I've always been uh, concerned about is, you know, when you keep these hours, you drink a lot of coffee, and uh, well, you know, on the weekend especially, I'll, I'll throw back a few uh, adult beverages, and. That can lead to heartburn. So one of the things that I've done is actually about two, three months ago, because remember, I tried to give blood and I had an unusually high blood pressure reading. Caffeine also is not great for blood pressure. I've actually given up coffee, which hurts in terms of blood pressure and in terms of heartburn. So you know what? I I don't necessarily miss it that much. I miss it to some extent. I did have a cup. I had a a night we went out to dinner on Saturday night. And I, I had a nice cup of espresso, and that really hit the spot. But that was the first cup of coffee I've had in a couple of months. It was uh, very good. All right, Jeremy Scott is here. We are going to be stepping into the par abnormal. There's no telling what will happen when Jeremy Scott is here. We'll get into it
0: straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Marano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. The Other Side of Midnight presents The Midnight Midnight Files.
4: the desert shooting stars across the sky This magical journey will take us on a ride Filled with the longing Searching for the truth Will we make it till tomorrow Will the sun shine on you Midnight in the desert,
14: and we're listening.
1: This is The Other we're Side of Midnight. Listening. I'm Frank Moreno. I continue to believe that one of the most fascinating stories that has been underreported, particularly until recently of our time, has been what is going on with what we used to call UFOs and what is now generally referred to as UAP. So I try to uh, cover as many stories related to this as I possibly can. We try to have the greatest guests that we can find, the greatest experts. Whenever there's a story in the news about uh, stuff related to this, I always make an effort to talk about it. And I'm occasionally asked, because, look, we're only on four hours a day, but I'm occasionally asked, well, what other shows are out there that are worth listening to? what other shows or what other podcasts are worth checking out if you're interested in this sort of thing. And immediately the first one that always comes to my mind is Into the Power Abnormal. Jeremy Scott is just tremendous. He is a terrific host who I have stolen more from than absolutely anybody. You can check out his show, at Parabnormalradio.com, and I was particularly envious of him this past weekend because he was at UFO Fest in Oregon, which uh, looked like a real rockin' good time and an interesting time and a thought-provoking time. I figured we check in with Jeremy to see how it went and use the opportunity to see what's happening in the world of UFOlogy. Jeremy Scott, it has been too long. Welcome back.
15: Hey Frank, hope you're doing well. It's very kind of you. I'm uh, very flattered by that, and uh, yeah, you, you hit on a couple of good points here, and, and you're right, UAP is the new term. You know, unidentified flying objects are kind of yesterday's news, and nobody really talks about flying saucers anymore because these things aren't saucers. As we know from our government, you know, most of these things are like plasma, like orb beings, so these, these may not even be craft, which is even more fascinating to me personally than, say, something like a flying saucer because it, when you're talking about aircraft, uh, you wonder, well, who's behind it? Well, what if we're not talking about aircraft? What are we, We're just talking about these blobs or these anomalies or these orbs or plasma balls, however you want to call them. Uh, to me, uh, that indicates that there is something out there.
1: No, I, I certainly would agree with you. Uh, get, first, well, I want to pick your brain on a few items in the news, but uh, tell me about UFO Fest. Uh, I'm sorry that I couldn't be there myself this year. I'm hoping to get there next year. As far as you're concerned, what were some of the, the highlights? What were the, what were the key
9: components?
15: Travis Walton, uh, who we all know from the Fire in the Sky sure. movie, the the Hollywood, or at least his story, uh, it, I think it really made his story uh, hit the mainstream. Now, of course, it's Hollywood, so there are inaccuracies, and of course, he's got his own film, Travis: The True Story of Travis Walton which was uh, screened at the film and um you know I've talked to Travis on the phone before I've talked to him on the show but uh this time was my first time actually meeting Travis in person and I was so gracious uh, that that he came on the show and and um you know talking with these people in person is is a whole lot different than talking to him on the phone or Or whatever it it is because you're able to look into their eyes you're able to hear in their own words and for somebody like Travis Walton who could have very easily just kind of caved under the pressure or wilted away because he's been met with a lot of criticism over the years and you know the debunkers have have hit him pretty hard slapped him in the face uh, maybe literally but hopefully not so literally over the years You know, you got to respect a man who's still 50 years later after this encounter is still pushing forward. And I asked him, you know, why why do you do this? And he's like, because if I can help even just one or two people, which, of course, it's far more than that. But if I can help anybody understand what it is that I went through, you know, that's what he wants people to take away from this, uh, you know, from his appearances. Yeah. And that... so Travis Walton, you know, one of the incredible um, alien abductees um, of our time. I'm sure everybody's familiar with the story, you know, beam of light, Snowflake, Arizona, 1975, out near the Sitgreaves National Forest after a really rugged day of logging, uh, doing some really, really hard work. And they were behind on the contract, so they'd put in some extra hours. And here's this you know, this light that comes through the forest. And, of course, Travis makes the the gutsy decision to get out of the vehicle and to go in pursuit of it and then is zapped by this beam of light and, and carried up onto the spaceship. He believes uh, he was actually healed uh, because, for all intents and purposes, he, he was dead when he was struck by that beam.
1: Uh, Wow. Uh, Yeah, I am uh, looking forward. Was there a a podcast recording of you and Travis Walton in person at the UFO Fest?
15: Absolutely. And we wanted to do video as well. Uh, We don't usually do video, but when we go to these live events and when we go before the crowd... I think it's absolutely paramount that we have a live video stream. So you can go to my Facebook page, Into the Pair of Normal with Jeremy Scott, and you can watch the the broadcast as we streamed it live this past Friday. And, of course, there's the podcast version out there as well, uh, which is on all the podcast apps. And you can listen to it, uh, you know, from Travis in his own words, and I would highly recommend it.
1: That's terrific. I'm looking forward to listening uh, to that. I've heard some of the other interviews you've done with him. And uh, you always—I know the story very well—but you always manage to get something, something new out of him uh, that uh, that I've not heard before. People just tuning in. We're talking with Jeremy Scott. He is the host of uh, Into the Parabnormal. You can go to the website parabnormalradio.com to check out the podcast. Hey, uh, let me ask you about this: these comments from the from Sean Kirkpatrick. Sean Kirkpatrick uh, made some very interesting public remarks. And a lot of the time, these Pentagon officials aren't so candid publicly. But in a new research paper that's still in draft form, the uh, Sean Kirkpatrick, who people don't know, is involved in the Pentagon's all domain anomaly resolution office or arrow for short. But what uh, they said, these Pentagon officials said in this draft document was that aliens could be visiting our solar system and releasing smaller probes like missions conducted by NASA when studying other planets. I thought that was pretty interesting. What did you make of these comments, Jeremy?
15: Well, I'm surprised that didn't actually come out during the the briefing, I don't know that it was necessarily a hearing last month, but it was definitely a briefing in which mr. Kirkpatrick uh, he got up before a committee and basically provided a a statement on the office's work so far. Uh, But they had previously stated after the hearing uh, a year ago, last May, that they were not ruling anything out. And and I think uh, there's a couple of reasons why they have to keep this on the table, because if they start to take the, the aliens off of the table, literally, then that only leaves a couple of possibilities, which is that it's our craft that maybe we have reverse engineered, uh, from some contact with extraterrestrials either it's a clandestine um, a group of individuals uh, who is behind this technology or it is foreign so like Russia or China uh, or even you know North Korea who could be behind this technology and if you take the the alien possibility off of the table you really limit uh, your possibilities and quite frankly with some of the uh, reports that we've heard from abductees and from experiencers there's a lot of unknown phenomenon that most people don't even hear about because they don't read books and they don't spend time on obscure websites. And they just believe people are seeing lights in the sky uh, or they're seeing strange things that maybe uh, they think we're not privy to this information. But with uh, Mr. Kirkpatrick actually stating the possibility that there could be these probes out there, uh, which could be like motherships where you could have a massive UFO in the sky and then smaller UFOs uh, basically diverting off from that uh, is actually uh, quite a very, very important thing, a monumental thing, what he said. So thank you for bringing that up.
1: Yeah, no, I'm uh, eager to see where where this goes. Are, are you of the belief that people like Sean Kirkpatrick and other Pentagon officials know the truth about what's um what's out there and what these objects are and are have not yet disclosed it to the public? Or are you of the belief that they're largely as much in the dark as, as we are?
15: I think certain individuals are are in the dark. Uh, but I think collectively our government knows what's going on. They know since since 1947 and even previous to that, that we have been visited, that uh, that craft have landed. Uh, they have crashed, that alien bodies have been picked up, that they've been examined and, and that they've been stored somewhere. I, I don't understand why they think we can't handle the truth. I, I As a sci fi fan. It's like when I watch a movie, my mind is open to that reality. And if our government stood up tomorrow and said we have been visited and we have been visited from uh, for the last 70 years at least, I think most of us would say, "Yeah, we already knew that." And you know, much like what we've been through over the past couple of years, uh, you know, with with a pandemic, we didn't need our government to tell us what we knew. As as to why they can't tell us, uh, perhaps uh, they're worried uh, about you know some of the information being uh, snatched up by foreign adversaries. But I don't believe that we're alone in the fact that if we have been given the blueprints to some of this technology. That we would be the only ones uh, to have been given that. I think if extraterrestrials have made contact, they've probably made contact with uh, you know, foreign leaders, uh, not just in the U.S. but elsewhere. And uh, I just think they, I think that uh, they are hoping that we're not as smart as we know we are. Um, I think they are well aware of the situation. Uh, I I can hope in my lifetime that it happens, and there's actually some promising developments that have been happening in just the past couple of weeks, including uh, whistleblowers, at least six that I'm aware of, who have met with uh, members of Congress behind closed doors, who have talked about some of this crash retrieval stuff, and perhaps even the alien bodies There's even been uh, um, an official who was involved at Minot Air Force Base in North Dakota, where in 1966 there was a UFO sighting over the air base that, you know, rendered the nuclear missiles basically uh, incapable of launching if they needed to, basically, you know, turned the switch off. And so I I think this is all coming to a head here. I want to believe it's coming to a head. (laughs) Uh, if you ask me in 10 or 20 years, I might change my opinion. But I think this is these are monumental days for ufology.
1: Well, yeah, that is uh, precisely what I was going to ask you, is where you see this going from here. If people are just tuning in, we're talking with uh, Jeremy Scott. You could check out his uh, radio program, Into the Parabnormal. Uh, just uh, type Parabnormal. It's basically a combination of paranormal and abnormal into any podcast app, and it comes Right up, we are seeing that on uh, next week, I guess it's May thirty first. NASA is actually do holding a public meeting on UFOs slash UAPs. Are there the agency NASA announced they'll be broadcasting a meeting of an independent study team tasked with categorizing and evaluating UAP data. The public can even submit their own questions. Uh, the most popular of which will be passed on to the team. Do you think anything is going to come out of this, Jeremy?
15: Absolutely not, because the key part of this is that it is not a review or assessment of previous unidentifiable unidentifiable observations uh, directly uh, from the the message on NASA's website uh, about the hearing. And you're right, it is coming up next week after Memorial Day, and it is going to be streamed. And this is a an independent or uh, a NASA study group that apparently is is going to meet here and then issue a report this summer. Um, you know, the last couple of reports we've got June 2021 and then the one that was released early this year. You know, they actually said a lot. A lot of people, you know, read it or they didn't read it or they read a summary and they they just came away with it like, Oh, they're not really saying anything here, but actually, what they're saying is that most of this stuff is unidentified. I mean, now we're at 650 reports. That's the database for Arrow, uh, all the main anomaly resolution office that you mentioned just a little while ago. That's the office now uh, in charge of this. And they have 650 of these reports, and half of them uh, show anomalous characteristics, which means they're unidentified. So why are we not identi or why are we not investigating the unidentified ones? Why are we showing videos um, such as what they showed in the briefing just a couple of weeks ago and saying, "Oh well, here's this. Oh, but by the way, this is what it actually was." I mean, what's the harm in saying, "Look, we don't understand yeah, of this." Of course. Uh, wh- why can't they show something that is unidentified? You know and i'm just pleading for witnesses to uh to be a part of these hearings i think we've had two now and if there's another one in the next year or something um i i think not a lot of people are going to be too kind to those proceedings if they don't include a military witnesses the pilots who have seen these uh either from the cockpit or on radar or whatever the case happens to be and if they don't include the experiencers because Uh, it was about a year ago that there was a report that our government is aware of people having unplanned or unaccounted for rather pregnancies, radiation burns, the type of stuff that we know happens in abductions. So look, we're primed for this. We're ready for it. When the day comes, I don't think we will not be able to handle the truth. Jeremy, we're going to have to end
1: it there. It's always a treat to talk with you. Uh, best of luck with all your work. I'm listening as much as I can. I appreciate you taking some time to chat with us as well.
15: Frank, you're very kind. Have a great night.
1: Thank you. If you want to comment on any portion of our discussion, 800-848-9222, 800-848-9222, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7. Open line
0: straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight.
1: This is Nobody by Tony Basil. You know, everyone knows Tony Basil uh, from Hey Mickey, You're So Fine, uh, which we sent out as a dedication to uh, Mickey and Canarsie. But this was a a follow-up attempt. I'm not sure if you'd consider Tony Basil a one-hit wonder. I don't know that uh, there was ever another hit like Mickey for Tony Basil, but this was one of those... Follow-up attempts to Mickey. Still alive. Still alive. And I believe, I, I don't know, I think she's from Philly or that area over there. But uh, still out there. All right, 800-848-9222. If you want to comment on anything we're talking about, 800-848-9222. So it's funny, we, um, we ended up getting together Saturday. I mean, what a day Saturday was with the rain, right? So, we ended up getting together with another couple that we're friends with, but we haven't seen them in a while because my schedule is crazy. Uh, their schedule is crazy. And they have, you know, we have an 18 month old, they have a one year old. So, you can imagine both of us with young children, we don't have a lot of time to go out and socialize. So, we've been meeting to get together for a while. And it just worked out that uh, we were able to get together. We have not seen them since their son was born a year ago, and I don't think they've seen us since our son was born a year and a half ago. So we end up going to this restaurant, which was very, very conveniently located for us, basically just around the corner for us, a bit less than a five-minute drive. I mean, if it wasn't raining, we could have walked. So we go there, which is great. It's a big... it convenience for us to be able to just go to this place that we'd been meaning to try. Cause we pass it all the time and the food was good. Really enjoyed it. And then, uh, that was the first thing. And then they give us a baby gift for Carmine. Who's now a year and a half old. Now we didn't have a gift for their son, which I felt bad about because their son is, Just as entitled to a baby gift as Carmine. Not that Carmine needs a gift. And so they gave Carmine uh, blocks, which he doesn't have. He's got a lot of different toys, but they gave him some blocks. And it turns out he loves them. We were playing with them a good portion of the day on uh, on Sunday. He really enjoyed them. So I feel bad because we don't have a reciprocal baby gift for this couple. So what do you do? Now, I probably – I might have done this anyway because this is my – kind of modus operandi, I end up buying dinner for all four of us. Now, so they really did get the better end of that deal because my guilt over not getting them a baby gift led to them getting a free dinner. So whatever Carmine is uh, walking past those blocks, I say make sure you play with those blocks, kid. They uh, cost your father a pretty penny in terms of a dinner. But honestly, the truth is I probably would have bought dinner anyway. But... I got less resistance from Rachel because we did not have a reciprocal gift. But we had a good time anyway. It was fun. All right. 800-848-9222. It was rough with that rain on uh, on Saturday in our area, though. We It was the first rainy Saturday where it rained the whole day when it was just so dreary where we couldn't go out at all. And it was the first Saturday, as long as I can remember, that we were just stuck home with no major plans or anything. And um, I had one quick errand to run in the the morning. I went to the doctor's office to give the blood that they didn't want to take last week. Ran into a listener there. Big hello to Brian. Brian Hunt, who uh, says he listens to the show every day. But um, it was really a very depressing day in terms of out, out not being able to go out all right um commendations in a moment your phone calls and more this is the other side of midnight until then keep asking questions
0: this is the other side of midnight with Frank Morano they're running a strange program y'all now here's Frank Morano.
1: This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. We're going to do commendations in just a bit if you're new to the program and you haven't heard us perform, and you're wondering what all this commendations business is. It's where we give a pat on the back to people that deserve a pat on the back. We will uh, get into that momentarily, but a couple of people have been patiently holding. We try and get to a couple of quick calls here, 800-848-9222. Stefano is in Putnam County. Hello, Stefano.
16: Oh, how are you, Frank? Thank you for having me on. I just want to congratulate you on your new bundle of joy. I heard that after the UFO segment, and God bless with that. Thank you. Thanks um, a lot. Oh, yeah, absolutely, sir. Absolutely. I'm a proud father myself. Oh, yeah, so I was listening to your uh, your speaker there. I ap- happen to catch the uh, tail end of it, but it's a subject that I'm definitely interested in, you know, in studying and stuff, too. Um, I just want to shed light on a movie that I had one, once watched, which was called uh, Close Encounters of the Fifth Kind by Dr. Stephen Greer. Oh, yeah, I'm uh, familiar you know, with Stephen Greer.
1: I haven't seen that particular film, but I've uh, I've followed his work for many years. I've been trying to get him on this show. Uh, but, uh, yeah, he's uh, he's a great expert and a great authority in this field.
16: Very good. You know, there, there was some really, uh, I would have to say, mind-blowing things on there. And if it's a field that you're interested in, I definitely recommend watching the movie. Um, I also, you know, just say that there was another philosopher who one time said that statistically, when you're standing on Earth and you're looking up in the sky and the galaxy, uh, to think that we're the only ones here is kind of uh, statistically, it's almost impossible, you know? So there's got to be life forms elsewhere as well. And, um, you know, the fact that, you know, the stuff that that this gentleman was bringing up As far as uh, things not being disclosed yet, uh, he was very smart for bringing that up because people like, I would say, you and I kind of know, like, hey, you know what? There's a lot. There's too many things that have happened before and too many witness accounts to actually say that there's nothing going on. Uh, I just wanted to state that. Yeah,
1: I certainly agree with you, Stefano. And I would just add that, you know, the... Pentagon has confirmed the authenticity of a number of the videos or photographs that depict these objects, so the question is not are there uaps that's a in my view that's the wrong question and a foolish one. The real question is. What are they? Are they a foreign government? Are they something our own government is doing are they uh or are they something otherworldly? and I think th- that's really the question that we should be exploring here, which is what which 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 is what drives me to spend so much time focusing on this on the radio. Hey, Stefano, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. No problem. Thank you for having me Call sir. again 800-848-9222. Larry in brooklyn's been waiting a while. Larry, what's on your mind?
10: Oh, hi,
1: Frank. You there? I'm here, Larry. Be heard.
10: Okay, so we were talking about religion. You know, you were telling me that your mother-in-law was upset about your sister-in-law converting to Judaism because she converted out of Judaism.
1: Well, and yeah. Again, that- uh, I don't. I don't want to speak for her because I'm sure I'm. Oh, I, I oversimplified it the way that I made it sound. But, but yeah, in words or substance, sure
10: but that means that, that makes your son Jewish because you cannot according yeah, to Judaism right. you cannot change your religion. That's right. So your daughter your 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 wife is Jewish also.
1: That's right. Yeah, she's um she is you know is a practicing Christian but yes as far as Judaism is concerned she's as uh, as Jewish as anybody and so is my son, which is great. I love that.
17: Well,
10: you have to remind these people that if they're Jewish and they don't and they practice christianity they're 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 headed for uh, a not so good place
1: well why why do you uh, say that
10: because that's what that's what the uh that's what Judaism holds that 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 is you know that you're always responsible you cannot get out of that obligation It's accounting. You well, get
1: out. you you're breaking up there a little bit, you Larry. You can't
10: get out of You can't get out of that obligation. It's a covenant.
1: So, but so even if you come up with a different religious belief system that comports more with your own beliefs, and in the case of my wife, she didn't know any other belief system. This is the one that she always grew up. Uh, believing, then you're saying even if this is what she's believed in and what she's prayed her whole life, you're saying that because genealogically, uh, according to her family history and the rules of Judaism, she's heading to a bad place.
10: Well, because she knows that she's Jewish. She has to investigate it. She has to be cognizant of the fact that she has an obligation. Look, I'm not a rabbi, okay, but I know that that goes to your mother-in-law for sure. Whether your wife is uh, that, that applies to your wife, I'm only guessing, but I believe so. Well,
1: you know? uh, yeah, my uh, I don't see my mother-in-law uh, switching uh, religions anytime soon, Larry. But I appreciate the thought. Good looking out, thank you. You, you waited on hold a while to just say something that uh, I don't want to call it. Insulting, but it, it is somewhat insulting, right? If you're my mother-in-law or my wife, right? All right, uh, without further ado, there are a lot of people that need a pat on the back. Why don't we give them one as part of...
0: The Other Side of Midnight presents Commendations. You know, we have...
1: Um, well, I'll talk about this later. Uh, remind me. Remind me to talk about this this monitor that's in here. It's very distracting. Must say, I will. I will turn this off. We'll just turn it off. No, no, no. It's fine. We'll talk about it. Well, we'll talk about it later. Remind me after commendations. Hey, I want to begin by recognizing someone uh, that our friend and a frequent guest and a frequent contributor and occasional co-host on this show, Obi Murray, brought to my attention. So he was out in Manhattan. Late night, early morning on Saturday, and he found himself doing a little late night shopping at Dwayne Reed because they're open 24 hours. You can get things like groceries. And checking out, he saw someone in their late teens, mid-20s paying their phone bill. Then all of a sudden, the guy behind him in line steps forward and puts some stuff down and says, I'll pay it. This guy out of nowhere pays the phone bill of a total stranger about $55. The guy was so excited. He was having trouble paying the bill. He smiled, shook hands and said, "Thank you." Yelling on his way out, "Some guy paid my phone bill." Amazing New Yorker. Some stranger only said his name was Dean and apparently he does this often. 15 minutes later, he did it again. This time, a homeless guy. Dean paid for the food about $25 worth. And gave him $20. So I don't know who this guy Dean is, but um, I think if you're going to do this sort of charity for perfect strangers, not because you're looking for credit or recognition or a tax deduction, but just because you want to help somebody out who might be having a tough time, I think that's incredibly admirable, and I think that's exactly the kind of person that I will give accommodation to. So Dean, whoever you are, wherever you are, if you're listening then uh, keep at it. You're doing great. Hey, I want to give a commendation to, as I, I as you know, I have very mixed feelings about horse racing. I did not watch the Preakness Stakes this weekend, but I do want to give a uh, commendation to the winning horse, National Treasure, because uh, National Treasure held off a surging Blazing Sevens to win the Preakness Stakes, and by virtue of his victory, this is this is this means that the horse that won the Kentucky Derby will not be a Triple Crown winner. So it is a big deal. I want to commend a bunch of the runners at the London Marathon, and this was nice to see because my I, my family are runners. My uh, three siblings have all run marathons. And my dad, I think, ran two marathons. And this is, you know, one of the things they always like to joke is runners are supportive, but they're very selfish. If, if you see a runner stumble in a marathon, you'll see footprints on the back of their shirt because they will run right over you. Well, that uh, old cliche did not hold true in London. Because a runner at the uh, 2023 London Marathon experienced something really uh, special. He was working his way towards the end of the race, and this is all captured on video, and it was shared on Reddit. And the man in a black cap begins to double over and is on the verge of collapsing one of the runners. As other participants whiz by, but before he falls to the ground... Another runner comes from behind him and grabs his arm. And he's able to hold the runner steady enough to keep going. Shortly after, another person appears on the man's other side. So together, the three runners make their way to the finish line. Now, we don't know if the men knew each other prior to the race, but when you're running a marathon, one of the most important things that marathoners care about is their 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 time. But this goes to show that at least in the case of these two runners whether they knew this guy or this guy was a stranger, they that camaraderie was the most important thing, not in getting the best time possible. I thought that was really heartwarming and very env- very very inspiring. I want to give a commendation to Kyrie Jones. Kyrie Jones is 35 years old. She also happens to be 33 weeks pregnant. Pregnant woman in Iowa. She was walking her dog outside her Des Moines home on Monday when she spotted a two-year-old boy throwing items from a second-story window of a nearby residence. At one point, the boy began leaning over the edge of the window, and the pregnant woman tried to alert someone at the home, but... To no avail. Concerned, this woman, Kyrie Jones, called the police for help. When she returned, she realized that this little boy had fallen out the window and was hanging onto a ledge. So she started screaming for help as the boy began to cry. And she's standing underneath him the whole time, just in case. And she's screaming. The window was open, so she's hoping someone might hear her There was no response. Then, and this is just a nightmare, this toddler lost his grip and plummeted towards the ground. But Kyrie Jones, 33 weeks pregnant and all, grabbed him and she caught him before he hit the concrete. Thankfully, the police arrived at the scene a short time later and the boy's mom eventually came outside as well. This woman is um, a real hero, real hero, and uh, also someone that was blessed to be in the right place at the right time. I want to commend the Swedish singer Loreen, who won the Eurovision Song Contest on Saturday night with her power ballad, Tattoo, at a colorful, eclectic music competition. I, um, you know, I-, I never even knew about the Eurovision Song Contest until I saw that Will Ferrell movie three years ago. And it's a silly movie, but it's hysterical. I really enjoyed that picture. And so uh, now I'm very interested in the Eurovision Song Contest, which is apparently one of the biggest international entertainment competitions there is. So it's a big deal if you can win this. And sure enough, this singer, Loreen. She beat acts from 25 other countries to win the crown in Liverpool. So uh, congratulations to Laureen. Let me commend as well a Nepali Sherpa guide. (laughs) I can't imagine this. Who climbed Mount Everest for the 26th time. Matching the record set by a fellow guide for the most times ever climbing Mount Everest. Pasang Dawa Sherpa, 46 years old, became only the second person in history to scale Mount Everest 26 times. And um, then as soon as as soon as the journey was over... Pasang Dawa Sherpa went up and started climbing it one more time. This is incredible to me what these Sherpas do and uh, how they're able to pull this off. It's just it's it's superhuman as far as I'm concerned. I want to commend Yemi Mobilade, the mayor elect in Colorado Springs, elected last week by um, a stunning margin of 14 percent. This is someone who handed handed a longtime politician the second defeat of his more than two-decade career. Now, this is important for two reasons. One, Yemi-Mobilade... You know, I'm a political independent, and I've worked hard to build the independent political movement my whole life with very limited success, to be honest. And yemi Mobilade, the is an independent. And Yemi-Mobilade got elected as an independent. And to get elected as an independent, especially in a city like Colorado Springs, is very, very difficult. And that's an accomplishment in and of itself. But Yemi Mobley is the first elected mayor in the history of Colorado Springs not to be a registered Republican. So this person is a real pioneer and very inspiring. Uh, I want to commend Green Bay, Wisconsin, named by U.S. News and World Report. I got to tell you, this was a surprise to me. U.S. News analyzed the 150 most populous metro areas to find the best places to live, and they found that when it comes to overall score, quality of life, and value, Green Bay, Wisconsin is the number one place to live in the entire country. Can you believe that? Wow. Congratulations to you, Green Bay, Wisconsin. I do commend you. I want to commend a radio station we're very lucky to be heard on right now, KWAM in Memphis, the, the mighty 990 AM, a great Todd Starn station. The Radio Television Digital News Association, RTDNA, announced last week that KWAM has won an Edward R. Murrow Award, one of the most prestigious prizes in journalism. This is huge. So big congratulations to everybody that's on KWAM and their station owner, Todd Starnes. I am honored to be a part of uh, the KWAM lineup. It is a... Legendary station, and as the CEO of KWM, Dalton Glasscock, said, excellence in broadcasting and journalism is our business. In a world where you don't know where to turn to for reliable and responsible journalism, KWM is a beacon holding strong to the historic pillars of trustworthy news while looking forward to the future of media consumption and meeting our community where they are. And I was very pleased to see this, not only because this is a station that I'm on, But I'm very pleased to see a talk station get recognition for their journalism, which I think a lot of times talk stations do a lot of terrific journalism. And because they get kind of marginalized as being just opinion and just being talk stations, they don't necessarily get the credit that they should for that. So I was very pleased to see that. I have to give a a posthumous commendation. To a legendary athlete and a wonderful actor, uh, Jim Brown, who passed away the other day at the age of 87. Uh, I, um, I I didn't get to see any of Jim Brown's football career, but I was a big fan of his acting career. I loved him in uh, The Dirty Dozen. I loved him in The Running Man. I thought he was great in Any Given Sunday. I think he was even enjoyable in uh, Mars Attacks, as silly as a movie that is. He was great in a lot of terrific films. And I give him credit for a few things. One, he left the NFL, not like O.J. Simpson did, where O.J. finished his whole career as a football player. And then he went into acting and commercial endorsements full time. Jim Brown left the NFL at the height of his career, at the height of his popularity, at his peak athleticism. Jim Brown could have been playing for another five or six years, probably performing at an incredible level. He has a lot of records as it is now. He might have broken every record there was in terms of of football, in terms of rushing. And, um... He chose instead to take a risk, and I give him credit for that. But I also give him credit for being a such an outspoken activist. He railed against Jim Crow, Jim Crow. He stood up and loudly spoke on behalf of Muhammad Ali when Muhammad Ali was being criticized for not wanting to join the uh, army during um, during Vietnam. He worked actively to curb gang violence in Los Angeles. He started a program to help uh, inner city youth and ex-cons. And um, he advocated for modern athletes to be more involved in the black community, which I think is a great thing. Now, uh, he did have some scandals. There were some issues with domestic violence uh, in his life. And I don't think you can just gloss over that because that is a big deal. However, I don't think that, do, that undoes any of the great work that he did on the football field, on the gridiron, in the movies, as an activist, or, uh, or helping a lot of people. And look, people are complicated and have a lot of different nuances to their history and personality. And I think the mistake that we make is too often try to paint them as either all good or all bad. And that's certainly not the case with most people. And I think Jim Brown deserves a lot of credit for his work in Hollywood, for his work in sports, and for his work as an activist and an organizer. I want to give credit as well to St. George Island State Park. That's right. A nine-mile stretch of Florida sugar white sand in an unspoiled natural setting alongside the Gulf of Mexico has been named... The best beach for 2023, according to the annual re- ranking released Thursday by the university professor known as Dr. Beach. It's just off the Florida panhandle, drew the top honor from Stephen Leatherman, professor in the Department of Earth and Environment at Florida International University. So um, congratulations. I've never been to this beach, but congratulations to you, St. George Island State Mark. And finally, I have to give a commendation to the Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton for suing Hyatt Hotels for deceptive trade practices regarding the true price of hotel rooms. I have railed for years against what these hotel rooms do in terms of these junk fees. And too long these hotel rooms have gotten away with this. And thank goodness the Attorney General is finally doing something about this. Filing a lawsuit against Hyatt Corporation, one of the largest hotel operators in the country, for violating Texas consumer protection laws by marketing hotel rooms at prices that were not available to the public as advertised. What these hotels do, and I've seen this more times than I can count, Is they advertise a super low rate. I just bought a hotel room for uh, an upcoming event I'm going to. They advertise it as a very attractive rate. Try and pay that rate. You can't. Oh, you got to pay taxes. Okay. You got to pay a resort fee. Okay. And you got to pay all these other fees that they don't disclose initially. And I don't understand why every attorney general doesn't go after these hotels. So I'm glad that Ken Paxton is doing that. All right. Uh, That concludes this portion of commendations. Anybody that you want to comment on, anything that you want to comment on, feel free to do so. 800 848 9222. 800 848 9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Straight ahead.
0: The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano.
1: The great George Harrison. Uh, This is The Other Side of Midnight. You ever want to know what kind of music we're playing? Just join our Facebook group. Just go on Facebook. Search Morano Radio Fans and Haters. That's M-O-R-A-N-O Radio Fans and Haters. And I do try to uh, share most of the articles that we talk about on my primary Facebook page at Facebook.com slash Morano Fan. That's Facebook.com slash M-O-R-A-N-O Fan. What I was going to say is they have this monitor set up in here like there's a camera as if they were doing a live stream. Now, it's not for our show. I'm told it's not broadcasting anywhere. But you know what I'm doing? I'm not sitting around giving anybody the middle finger. I'm not sitting around taking my clothes off. I'm acting as if this could be broadcast somewhere right now because that's the healthy way to be. And you know what it is? It's distracting. It's distracting. Because you look up at this monitor, it kind of catches your eye, and you can't help but look at yourself, and it's just slightly out of sync. So you're staring at yourself, because initially I'm caught by, I didn't realize, seriously, that my gray hair was this pronounced. And it does look bad. I do have to say, I did not realize that this, I thought the gray hair looked more distinguished than it did. does not look good. Least on this image, and uh, so I'm looking at that, but then I'm distracted because it's a half a second behind what I'm doing. So you almost feel drunk, like you're watching the Matrix, you know, where where you're seeing yourself in slow motion. Especially me, I, I talk a lot with my hands, and then I also I wear this shirt a lot, the one that I'm wearing, but it's nothing special. But it it doesn't it doesn't look good. So I'm now I'm staring at this gray hair. And this shirt, which doesn't look good. And I have to think that everybody who is sitting in this chair today was is similarly distracted. Now, maybe not as everybody is as slovenly looking as I am. So maybe they're not as turned off by seeing an image of themselves. But I have to think it's at least a distraction to see your mouth not match up, not sync up with the words that you're you're saying. So why are we leaving this monitor on here all day? I guess nobody asked to turn it off, so they just kept it on. But, um, I mean, is, is there a reason it's on? I no, mean, there's no reason. I mean, you see what's on there. It's nothing to
0: do with anything. I think they just left it on all weekend, and nobody shut it off.
1: Very interesting. I find that hard to believe, though, with the 10 shows that have been in here between Friday morning and now or or Friday night and now. I mean, nobody said it's really distracting, Apparently not. Apparently not indeed. All right. Well I'm gonna turn it off during the during the break then. Um that's that. All right. Eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. Steve is in Jersey City. Hello, Steve.
18: Yes, how are you? There's a there's a problem with hotels.
14: Mm-hmm.
18: There's a problem there's a problem with uh, everything.
1: Mm-hmm.
18: Hello? Yeah, Steve,
1: what is it? Don't keep us in suspense.
18: There's a problem because everything is controlled the protocols of our elder of Zion okay everything's everything's controlled by a cabal of Jews to the zone troll- disarmament this monopoly. if you have any if you're a gentile they demonize you so but... the Jews would demonize you if you're a successful gentile they'll spread vicious rumors about you if you have any success if you're a gentile the me... I mean Trey- H- they'll demonize the family of Trey Joes they're Nazis well, yeah, they're, hang, they're well let me like ask you a question, Steve. Steve, um
1: so uh Hyatt, for instance, is owned by uh Thomas Pritzker. I don't think Thomas Pritzker is Jewish, is he?
18: Um well the I, meant, I this, uh, there was a Jew who was actually a, um what's it called, uh Famous Jewish guy who passed away, who owned those casinos in Las Vegas.
1: I know, but we're talking um, about we're talking about the Hyatt Corporation.
18: Who, these and, are just these are just these, these just goy fronts, goy fronts of Jews. Jews have gentile fronts that to deceive Gentiles. So, so Jews take me through how
1: this works, right? So the Jews get together and they say we're going to charge resort fees to anybody that stays at a Hyatt hotel. And it, whether they're Jewish or Gentile, th- we're going to charge everybody, and then we're going to just keep the money. And uh, to what end? I mean, I just I don't understand uh, how this this there's Jewish conspiracy.
18: There's, there's, there's a secret. You Jews stick together, and Jews get discounts. And there's the closed Jewish shop. That's is why Israel is the uh, 15th most technologically advanced country in the world.
1: Well, so you the know, Jews and, get a uh, discount at Hyatt? What was that? The Jews get a discount at Hyatt?
18: You get a discount at the... Um, Sorry? At, 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 Steve, at, what are you at, doing
1: uh, over there? Uh, what do you got going on over there?
18: Oh, that's my... That um, he sniffs out the um, situation. So basically... Um, basically... There's, there's a conspiracy, and it's all run down London. London? Yes.
1: All right, well, but so just go back to the more pertinent aspect of this here. As you heard from, uh, I think it was uh, Larry, my wife is Jewish. How do I get, when I stay at a Hyatt, the Jewish discount for a Hyatt hotel that we book?
18: You get, because uh, of connections, you get discounts at the um uh, products if you're Jewish, you get discounts for uh, at at uh, for at, at a lot of things a lot of uh consumer products
1: so but how do I get it?
18: You have to be a, a private member of the club which you're not
1: is there, no well but my wife is so is there a secret handshake or something that she could learn that will allow us to waive the resort fee?
18: These, you pay a lower rate. when we would waive the resort fee, you pay a lower rate for the hotel room because of our Jewish ancestry.
1: Yeah, and, uh, see,
18: that's, in Israel. that's not
1: that's they not know, our experience. Hey, uh, Steve, what is your source for this? By the way, just curious. I don't doubt it. I'm just curious.
18: My 1997 my uh, Dell computer.
1: Your 1997 Dell computer. Where in the computer?
18: Where do you go to f- see this? Michael Dell is a Jew.
1: Michael Dell is a Jew. So you spoke with Michael Dell, and Michael Dell's here. All right, okay. I'm bored already. I can't. There's only so far that that can go. I uh, see. I don't even think he believes any of that nonsense that he says. He's he just one of these people that gets a a big charge out of uh, saying the word Jew repeatedly on the radio. All right, there you have it. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. I only
8: kept thinking one thing.
1: That it's not fair to Flair. Yeah, yeah, that's fair, fair. That that, that that's <laughs> very funny. All right, eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Melvin is in the boogie down Bronx. You know, it's rare that you view Melvin as a welcome improvement on the caller that just came, but I think that's the I think that's the situation now. Hello, Melvin.
19: Um, uh, Mister Jim Brown, He wrote a very interesting book, Out of Bounds. I read it, and when Art Russ Jr. Uh, one of the best commentators, commentators, sports commentators on the airways, was broadcasting this show and was talking to Mr. Brown. I remember the things that Mr. Brown did. And his book, interesting to read. And so, well, yes, he had some discussions. But outside that, he was a gentleman. Especially when he talked about professional sports and how the Washington Redskins or Washington Commanders was the last team in NFL to integrate this team and so forth back in the sixties and then about his championships and reasons why he died. Yes, he talked about he didn't talk about just who we talked about life, the Playboy Mansion and everybody else. But it was an interesting to read. I suggest you go ahead and read the book out about to see what you said about life and yes, how sport athletes should definitely get involved. Because when um Woody Stroll first came to the Rams in the late 40s um, they took the players, but not the owners. There were semi pro leagues out there, semi pro teams, but they didn't take the whole team. They didn't want to play against them. Same thing in every other sport, NBA, hmm, hockey. Yes. Jim Brown, he shine the light on a whole lot of mess that was going on out there. Well, good. I I'm, I'm glad
1: I'm glad you mentioned that, Melvin. Thank you. I appreciate that. All right. Um you know what I've wondered. I've I've brought this up on the radio before, and I have not gotten a good answer on this. We all know what patriotism is, right? Uh, patriotism is a love of country, and it's basically it's basically a form of nationalism when when geared towards your country, and a pride in your country, and a love of your country, and a a, pri- and a, a pride in displaying. That love of country. What is that called when you have that same community pride, that same love of your community for your state? If patriotism is for your country, what is it for your state? I don't know what it's called. I'd like to know. But um, I have that for my state, my home state. And uh, I've lived my whole life in New York and unless I'm publicly disgraced and forced to move to Atlantic City I intend to remain in New York for my entire life I love New York and I really get at, and look New York's got a lot of problems and I'm not sugarcoating them but you know what a lot of places do now the the other the other thing in terms of New York though is like Jersey, or really any state other than Texas, I think. I've noted, maybe California to some extent, depending on where, I've noticed that people don't have the same sort of pride in their state flags as they do their national flags. So in our house, my wife has limited me to two flags. She feels that if we go more than I, on flag day, she'll let me put up a third. But um, she feels if it we have more than two flags up at any given moment, it'll look like an embassy or a place people will show up to to pay tickets. Ideally, I'd love to have four flags. I'd love to have the country's flag, the state flag, the city flag, and the borough's flag. But so far, we only are able to have two: the country and the state. So my neighbor across the street. Now you got to understand the vibe in our on our block. It is basically always a block party. There are always people outside, both adults and children. Multiple generations of family live there. For instance, my neighbor next door to me is Deborah. Her father, who is having a little bit of a tough time now, a little under the weather, he's, he lives there part of the year as well when he's not in Florida. Her son lives across the street from us. So it's very much a family affair then um, everyone gets along. It's, it's a block party every day. Everyone is outside drinking. Everybody watches each other's kids. Everybody smokes cigars. It's, it's really such a fun block. And um, Kenneth Cole, who's a listener who lives on our block, knows this. So he stopped by. Um, I was out there with Carmine. He pulled over. He just said, hey, Carmine. You know, so it's th- that kind of a vibe. Kenneth Cole makes bread. For instance I got was able to get some free bread because of Kenneth Cole anyway, so my neighbor across the street uh John Charles, who's a great guy, he put up a while ago an American flag on the utility pole in front of his house and no one really stopped him. I think on St Patrick's Day he changed it to a leper, a uh, a Irish flag or something so. No one really stops him, even though you're not really supposed to do that. You're not supposed to put an American flag up. So then on Friday, I see there's another utility pole, the next one in one direction on his house, and it's in front of someone else's house. And with their blessing and with their consent, he gets on a ladder and puts another American flag on that utility pole. And then... As he's putting it up, he's talking to me. He's talking to his mom. He's talking to his neighbors whoever's out at the one. He says, "Yeah, I'm going to talk to Mrs. McEwen and see if I could put another one up in front of her her house." Sure enough, and these are all on public property or not not public property. They're private property because they're utility poles. It specifically says you're not supposed to put flags on utility poles. Now, who's going to stop you if you're putting up an American flag? It's not like you're putting up a uh, a flyer for uh, lawn care services. You know, most people let, they they kind of live and let live on the flag front. And then, so sure enough, John Charles gets the permission from Mrs. McEwen to put up another flag. So now you have three utility poles in a row, all with American flags, over the course of maybe 200, 300 feet. And I say, and you know how many, Utility poles have New York State flags on them. Zip, zitch, zilch, zero, nada, none, none. I said, "Hey, John Charles, uh, you know, you see the American flag that's flying under my uh, in front of my house? I love a good American flag. But rather than put up one, two, three American flags in a row, how about we put up one American flag?" We put up one New York state flag and we put up one New York City or Staten Island flag. Wouldn't that be nice? He says, no, no, no. Uh, he says, uh, I don't uh, I don't really like the state these days. And I says, well, how come? Well, I'm not crazy about a lot of the leadership. It's really going into a bad place. Well, I said, look at what's happening in the country. Do you think the country is is has got such great leadership right now? And he says, yeah, but um, the country still has a lot of beautiful places, and um, it's really only the only the cities that have gone to hell. And I said, well, wait a minute. Don't you think New York City and New York State and our borough, the place where both of us have lived our entire lives, don't you think that has a lot of nice neighborhoods to it, a lot of nice communities? And he says, yeah, not as much. And um, we had into a whole little debate. I mean, good-hearted, but it got a little, 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 little heated. And so basically, I, te- I basically hint – oh, by the way, this is the same person that put up a fake sanitation warning in front of my house when I put out my garbage too early a week or two ago. So just keep in mind. So I basically hint that, hey, if something happens to one of those flags while you're asleep, I keep different hours than everybody else does. Just saying. Just saying. Just saying. You don't know, but you never know. Okay. So that's Friday. Saturday is a washout. It's raining the whole day. Sunday comes around, and the rest of us are all out. All the other neighbors are out. And John Charles is nowhere to be found. We think he's in his house, but we don't know. And um, then I get a ladder. I get one of my New York State flags, and I go up there, climb that utility pole, replace... And this is, believe it or not, the shorter story because I got some assistance from some other people in terms of tools needed and things like that. It was really a wild situation to replace this flag. It was really cemented up there. There's tape that I had to cut off and stuff. So I replaced one of the American flags with the New York State flag. And I say... Well, don't be surprised if um, one of those other flags gets replaced with a New York City flag the next day or two. And everyone's laughing and have a good time. I'm waving. when I, I, My wife's taking video. I'm claiming this utility pole in the, in the name of New York State. And uh, we're having a good time. And then, lo and behold, uh, John Charles finally comes out, not at all having a good day, not a good weekend. His grandfather, who lives across the street a portion of the year, is almost deathly ill at 89 years old. So they've had a family going back and forth because he's in such bad shape. And then on top of that, his mom, who listens to the show, big hello, Deborah, his mom, while she's looking after her dad and everything, fell the day before and broke her hand. I don't mean to laugh, but he's dealing with a very sick grandfather and now a mom with a broken hand. And he comes outside. What's the first thing he sees is his flag has been replaced. So it didn't have the same sort of humor to it that I think it would under normal circumstances. But sure enough, you drive by our block. Now you see this New York state flag. And uh, it's funny as I mentioned, these are all on utility poles, which you're not supposed to do. As we're all outside on Saturday or on Sunday afternoon, he, uh, a, a Spectrum, you know, like the cable company or the Internet company, a Spectrum car drives by and pulls over and is looking at these utility poles. He takes out a pair of binoculars, starts looking at the flag on the utility pole, takes a picture. And then he drives up to the next utility pole, takes another picture. Same thing on the next utility pole. The next flag takes another picture. I don't know if he was looking at something else or if he was looking at the flags. I said um, that that would be quite a funny thing, although not really, is if poor Mrs. McEwen, who's probably in her 70s or 80s, and John Charles and our other neighbor all get hauled out in handcuffs because they're putting flags on utility poles. And you know he's going to try and blame me for this because of the added scrutiny Of this New York state flag. So that was my adventure on Sunday is uh, we spent an inordinate amount of time replacing this uh, flag. I would post this video that my wife took, but she, for some reason, took the video in slow motion. So which she doesn't even know how to do. She doesn't know how she got this on her phone. So it really doesn't it doesn't jive nearly as well. In terms of uh, in terms of watching it in slow motion, so there's that. All right, eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. We'll continue with your calls in a moment. Uh, try to keep your rabid anti semitism in check, if you can, just while we're on the air, you can go right back to uh, your uh, outing Jewish conspiracy theories after uh, after we leave the airwaves. Eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. Straight ahead. This is The Other Side of Midnight. If you ever want to know uh, what music we're playing, just join the Facebook group. Just search "Morano Radio Fans and Haters on Facebook. And that's also a fun group. Well, sometimes it's fun. Uh, It's a fun group to uh, explore the different issues that we talk about on the show, if you have feedback, if you have constructive criticism, if you have questions, if you say, hey, what's the name of the book that Frank talked about? That's the place to do it. What's the name of that movie Frank mentioned? What's the name of that alien guest that Frank had? If you say, oh, well, you know, uh, Frank spends too much time talking about X, that that's the place to do it, you know? It's a great way to have discussions about the show. It's not meant to be a general news discussion group. It's meant to be about subjects on. The show. eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. 848 By the way, you should like the Facebook page as well. Facebook.com slash MoranoFan. I'm going to try and do more videos. I think uh, I, I came across something. I, I didn't really do anything. But I got an email that I'm approved to have monetized content. So I think if a lot of uh, people watch a lot of the videos that we do, then we can make money. Now, I don't know how close we are to that. I think you have to get something like 6 thousand you know out minutes of video watched or something but just uh follow all our videos share all our videos I'm gonna try and make an effort to post more diff- more videos on there um I I'll tell you what I did here uh for the first time I don't know how this came to be but I ended up hearing a portion of the darker side of midnight on uh, Friday which is the podcast that uh the the three common chiro's uh, host after the show: Kenneth, Alex Barnard, and uh, Matt Blaze. And I must say, it was actually not that bad. I thought it. I I thought it was actually uh, mildly interesting. So, if you, it's basically a post show of what we do on this show. So, if you want to talk about some of the things that we do on this show, some of the answers that uh, that uh, callers give, some of the answers that guests give, some of the things that I might do you can uh, check out The Darker Side of Midnight. You can get that at redapplepodcastnetwork.com. That's redapplepodcastnetwork.com. Or just search The Darker Side of Midnight. But it really only works if you listen in conjunction with this show. It's a kind of a post-game show. I agree with one of the criticisms, which is I, I could do with a little less profanity. It does seem like a couple of the people on that show are are like those comedians that think they're being funny just by throwing profanity around. So I could do a little less that, but on the whole, I thought it was, uh, I thought it was interesting. All right. Uh, Yoel is in Pennsylvania, the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. Hello, Yoel.
2: Yes. Hi, I'm Frank, just, uh, three little points about, uh, I'll come back to this. I think you mentioned a few times. I,
8: um, first thing, aside from
2: my opinion, that, uh, I disagree with organized religion. I think it brings a lot more problems than good. But don't you think that people who switch religion should be getting some credit because they
19: actually chose their religion, whereas they're just being brought up to that? You
2: know, if somebody uh, cognitively believes something, they chose it on their own, isn't that a lot better than just being uh, adherence to religion you
1: grew up with. Well, I'm not going to say it's better or worse, Yoel. thank you. I do agree that if you make a decision to convert to a religion, and some religions are are, are tough to are tougher to convert than others. You know, if you want to be um a, a, in a, the Episcopal Church for instance, you know what you have to do to be in the Episcopal Church? Just go. That's it. You're in. Boom. Now, you want to convert to Judaism, and I know this from many friends of mine that have gone through this process, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work, and um, it takes a lot of effort and a lot of time. So, I, But I'm not going to say that because someone was brought up with a religion, somehow that that means it doesn't count. I think try and be a good person. If you have religion in your life, I think it's a good thing. Your influence counts. Use it. This is the other side of midnight. I am Frank Morano. If you're awake right now, you are not alone. You know, I just saw a wonderful email from our owner, John Katsamatides, uh, that he sent to actually Obi Murray, who we mentioned earlier. And he basically said I uh, because we're all night owls up at a time when most sane people are, are sleeping, he said uh I designed the show, meaning John for people that want something to listen to live at night because people don't want to be alone. And that's what we are. And I thought that was a pretty apt description of our show. We are here to keep you company so you don't have to go to bed. Don't go to bed. Stay awake. Maybe you're starting your day. Maybe you're getting ready or end it. Don't even think about going to bed. Stay awake with me. Uh, This is The Other Side of Midnight. We are the fastest-growing nationally syndicated talk show in the country. Very happy to wear that label. And you know what? Something else you might consider is not really my thing, I don't think, although I've never tried it, so maybe it's one of those things that you can't knock it until you try it. One of the things that you might consider if you are not into being alone is polygamy. Polygamy. Donna, who um, texted us, and you could text me anytime you want, eight one six, eight Murano, texted us on Friday that Dolly Parton is in a polyamorous relationship. There were some people that were questioning that, but polygamy is coming back. People are fighting for their right to have many wives, but with a bit of a twist, it's hipsters it's called a polyamorous relationship and people want laws protecting it it's not like what you're thinking of the hbo original series big love or mormon fundamentalists or anything along those lines i guess it could be that but there are there are laws granting rights to people in polyamorous relationships that are being recognized in more cities the latest of which is Somerville, Massachusetts. And Somerville, Massachusetts has quietly turned into something of a haven for those who practice consensual, what they call consensual non-monogamy. Now, we talked about this a little bit, I think, recently. I don't think that I could ever do this because... Honestly, if you're going to be a good partner or a decent partner to your husband or your wife, your boyfriend or whomever, it takes a lot of work and it takes a lot of time. Now, I can't imagine when you're in a relationship with two people, it's not, oh, one more person. It's double the amount of time, work, attention, one more set of in laws to visit. One more, uh, one more set of chores that you need to do. I mean, it's it's a lot of work. I couldn't do it, and um, you know, I can understand. I don't want to. I don't want to excuse this at all, but I could understand uh, that y- you might be a little. You get what they, they call the seven year rich, where you might be a little lustful for an extracurricular activity. But what does that last once? Twice, I cannot understand wanting to have a full-out, complete relationship with two people simultaneously. I mean, it sounds, it sounds exhausting just reading about it, but sure enough, Jace Knight, as written about in the New York Times, Jace Knight had heard about Somerville, Massachusetts while working on a PhD at the University of Alabama about three years ago, the small city had recently passed a law granting domestic partnership rights like the ability to receive employment benefits or make hospital visits to people in polyamorous relationships. Mix Knight, who's non-binary and has been non-monogamous since 2014, boy, that person, they're not being um, weighed down by any society's conventions. They don't want a, a gender, they don't want a... Rela- monogamous relationship. So this person was impressed. And late March, Somerville passed two more laws extending the rights of non monogamous re- residents, this time banning discrimination on the basis of family or relationship structure in city employment and policing. A similar ordinance focused on housing is currently being discussed by the Somerville City Council. Around the same time these laws passed, Mix Knight. Now, with a PhD in applied mathematics, moved from Alabama to a house in Somerville with this person. I'm not going to use the term there because it's too confusing to make it plural. With this person's two partners and a partner of one of those partners. Oh, my goodness. Can you imagine? So, I don't know if this... So, this non-binary person moved to Somerville with their two lovers and... One of the lovers' lovers. It's crazy. I mean, who needs that amount of complication? But anyway, the city's attitude towards non monogamy was a big factor in the group's decision to move there. Now, this is a, if you're not familiar with this, Somerville is a four square mile city with 80,000 residents just outside Boston. And it has quietly turned into something of a haven. For those who practice consensual non-monogamy, which is an umbrella term for relationship styles that involve more than two people. One of these is polyamory, which involves intimate or romantic connections with multiple people and the knowledge and consent of everyone involved. Polygamy means to be married to multiple people simultaneously. So Somerville is close to Harvard and Massachusetts Institute of Technology and claims to have more artists per capita than any city besides New York. Often described as hippie or bohemian, the city is staunchly LGBTQ friendly. There's a significant crossover between those who identify as lesbian, gay, bisexual, trans, and pansexual, and those who practice non-monogamy. Now, I'm all for cities doing whatever they want to do. And if people want to be in a polyamorous relationship, good for you. It's not for me, but I think that's great. It's great if you want to do that. Whatever whatever floats your boat. I uh, I don't think government should get in the way of interfering in whatever type of, as long as everyone's a consenting adult. I don't think government, I mean the one exception there is incest because there are some laws banning incest, which I think are good. I don't think we should allow incest. But aside from that, I think um, this is great. I don't think government should be in the business of telling people what kind of relationships they can have with other consenting adults. So I am uh, I'm all for this as a policy. But this is not at all my thing in terms of a relationship. I'd be curious where you are on this on both fronts. One. Have you ever been in a polyamorous relationship? I mean like when I say a polyamorous relationship, I don't mean having a night where you were intimate with two people in the same the same time. I'm not talking about that at all. I'm talking about instead of having a boyfriend, you have two boyfriends or a boyfriend and a girlfriend. Both of whom know about one another. No sneaking around. Everyone is, uh, everyone is in this relationship, and everyone is is hip to it. No sneaking around. It's all above board. And I'm curious how that has worked out for you, because I could see this. I read one column in the Free Press. That's Barry Weiss's uh, column. By uh, who was it? Nellie Bowles, who's a very good writer. And Nellie Bowles said she was in one of these relationships. She tried it in college. Didn't work. I have a tough time seeing how this could work. And I know it does. And I know there are examples throughout history of it working. I think in modern times, this is incredibly difficult. I cannot imagine. Have you ever tried this? And how did it work out for you? 800-848-9222. As I always say, this is a judgment-free Zone. Now, my wife was listening to um, one of my podcasts recently where I was I was mentioning that something was a judgment free zone. And she says, how do you know it's a judgment free zone? You you don't have to judge, but you can't stop the listeners and the other callers from judging. I said, that's a fair point. Okay, this is a judgment free zone by the host. Everyone else is free to judge as they see fit. And, um, you know, it's funny on the the. On a similar note, I saw this ridiculous article in the uh, New York Post, and it's one of those things. And I like the New York Post; it's it's becoming my favorite newspaper to read e- on a daily basis because there's just there's a lot of good stuff in there. I, I finished reading the Post the other day, and um, I, I read the paper version. And I said to my wife, "Boy, it is an experience reading the Post. It really is. The political coverage, the sports coverage, the." Uh you page six, the gossip coverage, the ads, it's really something. And the they have these articles on there, online especially. It's worse online, that are designed just for clicks. It's basically just clickbait. And they had this headline over 70% of Americans cheat at bachelor and bachelorette parties survey shows. And I saw that, I said, What? I said, there's no way that's true. Because you see that headline, it's ridiculous. You're really saying 70% of people that go to bachelor parties cheat. Uh, you know, I was just at a bachelor party in Atlanta a couple of weeks ago. I think there were five guys there. that, that me, or I don't, I don't know, six. That means statistically one of us would have cheated. Nobody cheated on anybody. And then I read this ridiculous survey. And this is why you have to read the actual articles here. Because according to BonusFinder.com, which is a totally non-scientific survey, they surveyed 6,000 people, including the soon-to-be betrothed and their guests. And now I'm hooked on this. I said, what? Are 70% of people really cheating at bachelor and bachelorette parties um, about any frisky business at these events and defined cheating as – listen to this. You ready for this? They defined cheating as ranging from flirting or downloading a dating app during the parties to sexting or sleeping with someone other than their partner. Will you give me a break? They're really considering flirting as cheating in the same vein as 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 sleeping with someone else now that's ridiculous that's the kind of thing a company does just so they could put out this ridiculous headline and get written about and now um have people like me mention it on radio shows that's so utterly ridiculous, which I'm mentioning one because flirting is not cheating I don't believe two um there is there this is stunning proof that you cannot just read the headline. You have to read the whole article, or at least the second paragraph because that's it's a ridiculous thing flirting as the as cheating all right eight hundred eight four eight nine two 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 maybe you buy this though seventy percent of Americans' air quotes cheated on their partners while attending a raucous bachelor or bachelorette party plea. You know what because i the reason I was eager to see how the how true this was, and it turns out it's not at all true, but the reason I was eager to see how true this was is because in my experience. I never really saw much in the way of shenanigans at bachelor, at a bachelor party. And I'm not really into bachelor parties. I don't like going to them. I, don't, I think they're kind of silly. But when I was single and you would come across a bachelorette party, that was almost like discovering gold. Because for whatever reason, a lot of women of varying ages, and I'm talking 22 to 62, a lot of women of varying ages, they've come to think of a bachelor party as something where men just cheat on their wives like crazy and are just go crazy and are wild and they're single and wild, which is not the case. But because so many women think that that's the case, that's what they've turned bachelorette parties into. Now, and I I remember my brother we were in uh, Disney World for his mother's 60th birthday, and he his girlfriend had just broken up with him, and he was so depressed. He was despondent. He's No, he's married now, a beautiful woman. He's doing great, but he was just really out of it, and we're at a restaurant or a bar or something, and we stumble upon a bachelorette party of all young women his age. I said, Nick. This is incredible. This is God blessing you with the greatest gift you could ever imagine. To come across a bachelorette party, and they, the bachelorettes these days, they have things stamped to their arm that says, uh, oh, if you find this bachelorette, buy her a drink right away. You know, it, it, it's really that bachelorette parties have become what women think bachelor parties
3: are, the as far as I can concerned, going to love you.
1: So, um, but there was no gender breakdown as far as I as I saw in this ar- ridiculous article. So that's that. All right, eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two, eight hundred eight four eight nine two 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 one two three four five. Open lines. Let me begin with Trevor in Yonkers. Hello, Trevor.
17: Hey, how's it going? Hey, uh, I just wanted to say I I have a, I have a son, and I've also had girlfriends my whole life. I've- been with plenty of when I'm not bragging, but I'm saying I've always thought that there are three types of um, relationships there's love, loneliness, and lust, and it depends on which one you want to be in. And so, it's fine if you want to have multiple partners, if you're just in it because you're lonely or you just have lust for somebody, and as long as you guys are open and have you know an agreement that you guys are going to do what you're going to do but don't hide it. I don't see anything wrong with it. Well, yeah. I don't see that being something serious. It's not somebody you're going to marry.
1: Well, no, but in these relationships, the kind that people are moving to Somerville to have, they are Basically uh, they are basically full-time serious relationships that involve multiple people. Now, uh, Trevor, have you ever been in a in a polyamorous relationship or are you now I, I I couldn't make that out based on what you were saying?
3: I have
17: been and my point was is that I knew from the get-go that we were like college kids and it was like we're not going to be married. And so it worked because it was, we were still exploring everything. So we knew that we were going to be attracted to other people and it was like, Hey, let's be upfront about it. We're going to travel around the world and we're going to go different places and why lie about it and say, Hey, we're going to be together forever. Yeah, and it's well, just going to be us. Today. Right.
1: Right. No, I, again, I don't think anybody's talking about lying. So just so I'm clear you weren't in an open relationship. You were in a closed polyamorous relationship.
17: Yes. Then exactly. That's what I would call it. a closed polyamorous how did, it,
16: relationship. how did it work out for you guys? Actually, it worked out very well because
17: like I said, it was, there was like rules to it and we communicated very well. Don't bring it home, you know? And well, no, but
1: that's not a polyamorous relationship. These are people that all live with one another.
17: And I know and I understand that and I've seen those and I don't think I've ever seen those really work out where both people are really happy.
20: Well, well, that's that's what I'm wondering
17: or vice versa. I'm sorry.
1: Yeah, that's what I'm wondering is if this has ever worked
17: out. I'm sure it has. But like I said, there's always going to be somebody that feels a different type of way because I know people that are in those relationships and it's uh, it's I almost feel bad for one of them.
1: <laughs> I I see it being thank you Trevor appreciate that. I I see it being very difficult. I I think to your point Trevor, someone gets jealous of someone else, uh someone gets someone might be a little too needy uh, some not too needy, but, you know, uh, the person may say, look, well, why does this person get five hours of conversational attention when is I, I only get two hours? I mean, it just strikes me as just so frustrating for everybody. It's not the kind of thing that I would want to do. Tell me what you think. 800 9222 Neil is on Staten Island. Hello, Neil.
5: It's hard enough handling one woman, Frank. That's what I'm saying.
1: And, I, and I'm sure the same could be said of of opposite genders or the same gender. Absolutely.
5: Yeah. Not only that, Frank, but, you know, it's, it's good when it's good. But once it starts breaking up, try to get into a court of law and try to say, you know, I need this or I want this. Or I want that. You're going to get nothing. Because the the law hasn't caught up to you. Well, that's that's
1: what that's what some municipalities like Somerville, Massachusetts are trying to do. They're basically catching the law up to where where other cities are. And I don't have a problem with that. Uh, And I think because relationships do tend to end, uh, I don't have a problem with certain uh, with certain laws changing to be more reflective of of a of, of different relationship structures i just uh i'm all for that but i just i can't see ever wanting to be in one
11: i think those laws are state laws, frank for the divorce i don't think the city laws.
1: well I, if I they're, they're not married it's then it's not really divorce. but but you it's yeah. more about domestic I, partnerships I, here
5: i also want to tell you frank that uh if you need a discount call for hotels it's just used to code that I always use, Marano 15, if it gets me there. <laughs> that's
1: If that helps you, it makes me pay more. Thank you, Neil. Hey, there is one spot. There are two places where you can get a discount where I might be able to help you. One is if you go to mypatriotcigars.com. I, you know, I smoked my final Patriot cigar yesterday, and that means I'm really hoping that they will send me some more. So if you go to MyPatriotCigars.com, they have a great selection. They have the TNT, the Mother of All Bombs, the Mark IV, the Sidewinder, all great, all different. You can also buy a cigar for a serviceman. And if you use the promo code FRANK at discount, you save, I believe it's 20% off, not 15, 20% off. And if you uh, purchase more than $100 worth with that discount code, you get free shipping. And, you know, what's $100? A few different, a couple of different cigars. And uh, I know one person wrote to me over the weekend when I was talking about this and said, oh, I looked on that website. The Cigars were too expensive. You're getting what you pay for. Because the quality of these cigars is phenomenal. So go to MyPatriotCigars.com and uh, whatever you order, use that discount code FRANK. The other place where that discount code really does help you is the Other Side of Midnight online store. There's a ton of great stuff. I was wearing while I was planting the New York State flag on my neighbor's utility pole. I was wearing a Other Side of Midnight t-shirt. And there's great shirts on there. There's a jersey. I wear the stuff all the time. And if you want to purchase any of this, go to store.othersideofmidnightshow.com. That's store.othersideofmidnightshow.com. And if you use the promo code FRANK15, then you will get a 15% discount there. And there's some
21: great stuff on there.
1: All right, Brandon is in New Jersey. Hello, Brandon.
21: Hi, Frank. Let me uh, let me start out by saying a uh, way to sell the Darker Side of Midnight podcast. Mildly entertaining. It's vastly entertaining. I think everybody should be listening to it.
1: Well, hey, uh, different strokes for different folks. No, no accounting <laughs> for taste. All
21: right. Well, <laughs> um, as far as the uh, the cheating article, um, I mean, I, I hear what you're saying. I mean, if you're really in a serious relationship, I mean, I know some guys, you know, they're just like, that way naturally. And, you know, if they're, if they are that way, they're, you know, wives or girlfriends, you know that and accept it. But, uh, as far as everything else, I mean, you know, you really shouldn't be doing that if you're in a serious relationship. So, yeah. you know, I, I think the, uh, the ground rules are cut, are right.
1: Well, okay. I, I respectfully disagree. I, I think to say that, um, having sex with someone other than your partner is is the same thing, essentially, which is what they counted as, in terms of cheating, as flirting. I couldn't disagree more. I, I just, I I so vociferously disagree with that, that uh, I just, um, I, I think it's, I, I don't even think it's the same league. I don't even think it's the same sport, but you do.
21: Yeah, well, there's different degrees of, of cheating, but it's still cheating at the end, isn't it?
1: Well, no, no, it's not. I think um, I think f- uh being flirtatious is a relatively playful, relatively harmless interaction. And uh, the other the other having sex with someone that's not your husband or your your partner, I think that is a massive betrayal of. Of trust and uh, and a real violation. I mean, if you go, I've married a lot of couples as a uh, minister in the Universal Life Church, and you go through you know uh, sickness and health and uh, taking no other as long as you both shall live. There's no vow that I make people take against, against flirtation, but look, th- uh, thank you, Brandon. Your wife's a luck- luckier woman than mine, I guess. 800-848-9222. David is in the Boogie Down Bronx. Hello, David.
22: Yes, uh, good morning. morning. Um, on the subject of flirtation, I'm, I'm curious about something you said because you, you don't consider it cheating or anything close to cheating. Now, assuming your wife wears her wedding ring all the time, If a guy is is flirting with your wife or cease flirting with him, don't you think that's disrespectful on the part of the guy who knows that the woman is married to be flirting with her or vice versa? Well,
1: I, I mean, I think it depends on the situation. I think it depends on where, where it goes, right? I mean, if, um, if he's trying to sweet talk her to get her to go on a date with him, I think that's one thing. But I think if, um, If uh, he sees her in a store and says something to the effect of, uh, oh, boy, you know, I I picked the right uh, grocery store to go to all the pretty redheads shop here. I I think I think that's relatively, relatively harmless. And I I wouldn't have a problem with that, honestly.
22: All right. But all right. Let me give you an example from my personal experience. Um, I had a city girlfriend about 20 years ago. And um, when we would go out to bars, I would go to the restroom, and generally some creep would be sitting in my seat when I got back, you know, because a lot of guys observe women in bars, and they'll, you know, prey on them when their guy is away. Now, she would get upset with me because I would get upset with the guy and usually get him away very quickly. And her argument with me was, well, I came here with you and I'm leaving with you, so it it shouldn't bother you that this guy is coming over buying me a drink or whatever. But my counter argument was this, and this is kind of what I was trying to get at with you. I think it's incredibly disrespectful as a man to have another guy come up to your woman or whoever and think that they've got a shot because you just don't happen to be standing there. To me, that's like a slap in the face.
1: Yeah, I, I would I would agree with the circumstance that you described. I, I would agree with that, and thanks for the the call, David. I would agree with that completely. I think um, you know it's all uh, human interaction in general is so dependent upon a circumstance and a situation, right? You gotta you gotta judge each circumstance on its own merit, right? So if somebody's trying to move in on your date. That's really mean. But if someone is just being overly friendly, you know, and gives a wink as they, uh, you know, as they will clink glasses with you,
7: I don't think there's anything wrong with that at all.
1: All right. Uh we're going to do the $1000 minute in mere moments. If you want to call in on this or anything else that we're talking about, you can do so at uh, 800-848-9222. I did uh, I am on Instagram as well. I don't do a lot on Instagram. Basically, my Instagram is pretty much just photos of Carmine and uh once in a while photos of Carmine and me. You know, I was up early with him on Saturday. And for whatever reason, he was goofing around and he was in this very funny mood to uh, open his mouth wide like Macaulay Culkin in, um, in Home Alone. So we took a picture of the two of us holding our mouths open and uh, we looked shocked. And it said, the caption is, what do you mean auto manufacturers are trying to take AM radio out of cars? So if you want to see that photograph you can uh, you can go to instagram dot com slash morano vision that's Instagram.com slash m o r a n o vision you can also email me uh whenever you like at Frank.Morano at uh dot com that's frank dot m o r a n o at red dot com and uh, i i do look at every email tomorrow we're going to read through you, uh, your emails on this program and there's a lot of good content uh in terms of the written word that i have uh, that i've been looking through so hey oh lisa in connecticut our friend lisa in connecticut is on the line this is lisa pure a terrific artist and uh, speaking of instagram you want to know an instagram page that's worth following Uh, you should follow hers. And uh, trust me, I mean, if flirting is counting as cheating, I think maybe following her Instagram may count as cheating. Lisa, hello. Hey, how are you? I'm good, I'm good. Give me your take on, uh, on what we're talking about here. Do you think a polyamorous relationship can ever work?
23: You know, um... It's so funny that you said that because you know I, I drive back and forth from New York to Connecticut back and forth for work and everything and I and enjoy your show so much and we've become good friends right so the other day I was at this rest stop and I met this gentleman and never met this woman in my life he pulls out his phone and starts telling me about how he's lost he needs to go for he went from North Carolina back and forth to Boston and and he he needs food so I guided him to a diner and we had a conversation. And he shows me his phone about his brother who's Muslim and has three wives. And I was like, wow, how does that work? And he's like, it works great for him. Well, it works great for him. (laughs) I'd like to know how it works for the
1: wives.
23: (laughs) I know. I don't think, you know, but look at like Hugh Hefner and like the whole show and all of that. He was with like how many girlfriends at the same time? And they all seem to be happy. So I don't know. It's really interesting because I guess. If you know what you're getting into, and maybe, like, one person doesn't want to have a lot of sex, and then the other person takes over, and maybe then this one wants to do the house chores, and this one wants to go do the thing and go shopping. I don't know. Maybe it works for some girls and for some guys, and maybe they're happy. But in my travels, I think, and what I've seen, of course, in the music business for how many years? Over 20 years. I've seen a lot of things, Frank, you know? Oh, I Um, bet. Tour and everything else. I've seen a lot. Yeah, right? but
1: in so, in Muslim cultures, I, and I know they do this, and there are some I other cultures. Works
23: for some cultures, but I don't know. And our society in the U.S. I don't know. It's very very tricky. And I don't think I think people would catch feelings like jealousy, like what are you doing, and oh, why are you giving this one too much attention? And so, I don't know. I, don't, I, I definitely not for me. That's yeah,
1: so people. not not for you, right? <laughs>
23: Definitely not for uh, me. Darn. Like, I can't even get in- involved in, like, what people want to be like, hey, did you ever do anything like, oh, you want to do No, 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 no. I'm Lisa Pure. I'm keeping it pure, even though I look like an un- Instagram. I'm a crazy person. But- yeah.
1: Um. And by the <laughs> yeah. way, what is your Instagram if people want to <laughs> no? follow you, Lisa? <laughs> it's it's
23: Lisa Pure.
1: There you no. go. Simple as that. <laughs> well, definitely worth following. I think. And, Lisa, thanks for the call. It's always nice hearing from you. Thanks for your encouragement and letting us keep you I company as you go show, back and like forth. You
23: know. Yeah, but, you know, I also wanted to tell you that there's been some things where I've been in some situations where, you know, in Brooklyn, like there's house parties where they have these situations where I got invited once by this couple that I'm really good friends with, right? And I didn't know what I was getting myself into. And I
14: said, what are you guys getting me into right now? You know I'm
23: not like that. You know, it's funny. I can and honestly. a lot of people having a lot of good times. Uh, can, I can bet. I bet. It, but...
20: For some
1: reason, I never and get I invited like, to okay, those I'm situations. out of here. Can't imagine I why. I called an Uber and I bounced. I can hear no. that. Hey, Lisa, thank you. We're gonna do try and give away some money. Call again soon, okay? Appreciate it. Yeah, for some reason, I I never end up on the invite list of any of those any of those parties. I'm not complaining, but I'm just saying. I guess they're inviting two different types of people. All right. Hey, we're gonna try and give away a thousand dollars. Whether you're in a monogamous relationship, a polyamorous relationship, or you're not in a relationship. Who couldn't use $1,000? So basically, all you're going to have to do is answer 10 trivia questions in 60 seconds. If you're up for it, then all you have to do is be the seventh caller right now to 800-848-9222. And if you can answer all 10 in 60 seconds after being the seventh caller, you'll be $1,000 richer. Simple as that. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead.
0: The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Marano.
1: This is the other side of midnight i'm frank moreno you want to um comment on anything we're talking about you can give me a call 800-848-9222 but for now we're gonna try and give away some money
0: the other side of midnight presents it's the thousand dollar minute Answer 10 questions correctly in one minute, and you could win $1,000. Here's your host, Frank
1: Marano. Thank you, Chris Libertini. Let's say a John on the Southern State. Hello, John.
2: Hi, Frank. Good morning.
1: Morning. Uh, John, you've heard this segment before? I have. Great. So you know the rules, right? I think so. All right. Well, good. answer questions, answer them quickly, and uh, get 10 right in 60 seconds. You'll uh, you'll be a thousandaire, right? Simple enough.
17: More than what I have now.
1: Exactly. There you go. That's the right attitude. All right. If you're ready, let's get started. What is it called when water falls from clouds? Rain. Name a vegetable. Carrots. What sitcom featured Archie Bunker and Meathead as characters? All in the family. What historic event was the most watched moment in TV history?
17: Challenger explosion.
1: Nah, no, no, I'm sorry. It was a space event, but it was the moon landing. Okay. The moon landing in 1969. It never happened. uh, Well,. Well that's why it was such good television. Right? Right. Um John do you do you really think it was fake or are you just uh, busting chops? I really think it's fake. Why? I mean, why do you think fake? We can't do it now but
10: we could have done it 50, 50 years ago so it's fake.
1: So you think the um like Buzz Aldrin and and these guys they're they're just they're
5: they're conning us? Yeah, they're all paid liars. You think so? Absolutely.
1: Now um what about the the subsequent lunar missions? You you don't buy any of them.
17: I'm not sure what they're doing now. I just don't think that they were landing on the moon any time in the 60s. Why don't we do it now?
1: Well, I I, I think that's a good question, right? Um, and right. I, I it'll be interesting to see. If we do end up going back to this moon the moon with uh with Artemis, hey uh, John, I'm going to put you on hold. thanks for the food for thought. T- give Kenneth your information and we'll we'll send you a consolation prize. send him I'd say I it would blow John's mind if we sent him a, a moon rock, right That would be just forget about it you know it's funny that that film uh with o. j. Simpson and uh, Elliot Gould, Capricorn one. A lot of people believe that. I I interviewed a fella who, and that's a little bit different. That's a Mars landing. But they believe that that's what happened, that it was all done on a soundstage. I I can believe a lot. I cannot believe that we didn't go to the moon. I just can't. Can't believe. I mean, is it possible? Yeah. And the people that I've interviewed that have said this, they make a very compelling case. But like a lot of people that are really into whatever their cause is, you know, they just bury you with information. And they filibuster by speaking so quickly that you can't really respond to each of the – and take the trouble of looking up each of the things that they say. Hey, by the way, um, the other day I mentioned how this Monroe College mug, which I got from lecturing – At Monroe College, happy to do that as a a favor to my friend Marty Bland, who uh, invited me there. He um, gave me this mug as a nice way to say thank you. You know, I'm listening to uh, a friend of mine describe before the show the honorariums that some of these commencement speakers get and some just huge, huge numbers and. I'm thinking, oh, well, I thought my mug was pretty cool before that. But, no. but anyway, the mug is broken, and it clearly was glued back together Humpty Dumpty style. And we launched a full-scale investigation to determine who broke this mug. Well, apparently, somebody that has a long history of, uh, um, you know, kind of playing by his own rules felt the pressure. And confessed. Here is a uh, comment from my friend and colleague Curtis Lewa regarding Muggate.
9: By the way, look at what I have in my hand here the documentary evidence. It's spelled K R A Z Y glue. The super glue that was used to fix that mug. Oh no. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Look, who else has crazy glue here, right? Uh, I mean think about it. Remember when my tooth fell out? And I had to go do the interview with Sean Hannity, the rock ribbed all American conservative voice of reason from Franklin Square, Long Island on Fox News. And if you don't have your front tooth, they're not gonna let you on because you look like a, you know, you look like a goober. You look like a hillbilly So I crazy glued my tooth back in, and I still have the uh, little vial here that I used to fix that mug. Cover up my felony operation.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Didn't sound like he was joking there. That sounds like a man that broke my mug and then tried to crazy glue it together. You be the judge. Uh, all right, 800-848-9222. We're going to do 15 seconds of fame in a moment. You know, I was going to try to avoid talking about this today, but I have to because I'm, I'm reading all the news now, and so much of it is focused on the G7 summit, which is the uh, summit that took place in Hiroshima yesterday where the Japanese prime minister hosted the leaders of the United States, Canada, Britain, France, Germany, Italy, and the EU. And they also invited a few guests, including the leaders of Australia, Brazil, South Korea, Vietnam, Indonesia, India, and, yes, Ukraine. They invited Zelensky over there. And I don't want to get into a whole thing with the Ukrainian conflict because things get very complicated and people get very passionate. I'll just say this. We have given Ukraine hundreds of billions of dollars in aid, military aid and direct aid. Why can't Zelensky buy himself a suit? Why does he have to walk all the go all over the world wearing this basically what looks like military pajamas? Is he trying to do a Castro now just walking around all over the place in military fatigues? To show that he's a tough guy? Is that the statement that he's making to the world? I mean, just put, would it kill you? While you're with the leaders of the most powerful countries on the world who are funding you to the tune of hundreds of billions of dollars? Would it kill you to throw on a suit? Even if you don't put on a tie. Throw on a sports jacket. I mean, really. All right. Um we're going to do 15 Seconds of Fame in a moment. 800 848 9222. 800 848 9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. If you're not familiar with 15 Seconds of Fame, it's where you get to say whatever you like for 15 seconds within reason. 800 848 9222.
0: Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano.
1: Speaking of Aliens and UFOs, my thanks again to uh, Jeremy Scott. You know, next time Jeremy's on, I'd love to have him on for a full hour uh, because he's just so knowledgeable and just sounds so good on this front. I'd love to uh, have him back uh, to talk about UFOs and maybe after NASA holds their briefing on May 31st, which uh, we all acknowledge is going to be somewhat anticlimactic. Meantime, uh, Kenneth... You told me during the uh, top of the hour, you went to Atlantic City over the weekend? Yes, sir. On Saturday. How could you not have mentioned to me when I saw you Friday that you were going to Atlantic City, a place that you know I am quite fond of?
20: Well, that is very true. I could have asked for some recommendations from you, but it was kind of like a pre-planned thing. So I felt like I didn't need uh, any Murano recommendations. What
1: do you mean a pre-planned thing? I don't know.
20: Like, it was everything that we were doing was already planned out. Like... We you couldn't deviate to, we from that. We were going to Ocean. and then at all. They were going to go to Carmine's, the restaurant. Now, I
1: don't understand... Um I've spent a lot of time at Ocean, and I've spent a lot of time at the Trop, where Carmine's is. Right. But those two places are nowhere near one another. They're at opposite ends of the the boardwalk.
20: Why wouldn't you go to a restaurant don't, at Ocean? Don't ask me. I, you got to ask my friend, whose cousin turned thirty, and she wanted to get a limo ride to go to Carmine's. So that's All what we right, did. Oh, well, good. Uh, how How was your How was your trip? How it was, was also review? It was also my first time going to Atlantic City. What?
1: You did not so. tell me.
20: How could? <laughs> I would have had a whole parade. First of all, David Pena's joint is at
1: the Trop. He would have hosted you guys at Boogie Nights. Well,
20: <laughs> well I guess next time I go, I got to tell you then. You know, what? Ahead do you know of how
1: many emails I get from strangers every single day saying, I'm going to Atlantic City. What do you recommend? Who should I talk to? Where should I go? These are people <laughs> I've never met before. I see you every day. You don't think to say, hey, by the way, I'm going to Atlantic City uh, tomorrow. It,
14: all it right. doesn't it occur time, to you? Next
20: time I go, I'll tell you a week in advance, all right? Uh, no, you don't tell, you know. tell me that day, you know, or whenever, you all know? All right, all right. Something. Jeez. So did you have a good time?
9: Still
20: not. Oh, yeah, it was It was really fun. Aside from losing $200 on Blackjack, it was, it was fun. You went on Saturday? Yeah, on Saturday. So it must have been packed over there. Yeah, it was pretty mobbed out. A was, lot of people. Was there anybody performing at Ocean? Uh, any like in terms of a concert or a comedian no, or something? No one that I know. No. no one that you
1: knew. But um, but uh, yeah, it must have been. Uh, I'm yeah. I'm wondering with the weather if it made it more crowded or less crowded than it would uh, otherwise be. What was the minimum at the blackjack table you were playing at? I'm just curious.
20: It was twenty five. See, yeah. that's
1: that's expensive. That's pricey. Yeah. You lose three or four hands the, in a row. The, f-
20: the fifteen dollar table was packed. Yeah. So. yeah.
1: See, that's what happens. You got to play uh, on the, if you go on the weekend. You know, nights are tough to play there. But again, yeah. who 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 wants to play at ten a.m.? That's that's tough. Uh,
20: did you play any other games, or that was it? Just blackjack. I was thinking about three card poker. My friend's mom won like seven hundred on the table. Oh, so. really? Mm. probably should have but i was like after the 200 i was like i'm done mm-hmm. i lost two hundred dollars in like 30 minutes so i'm like i'm done yeah with this.
1: well that's the problem with those high table minimums that's why i prefer the the more modest table minimums all right well i'm glad you had fun uh just goes for anybody that's that that's working here let me know the next time you go we're gonna have ac mike come and meet you you never know what what could have transpired could have been a a, a really fun thirtieth birthday, really, but uh, but that's good. I'm glad you had a good experience. All right, uh, without further ado, it's time for
0: the other side of midnight. This is fifteen seconds of fame. fame.
5: E Frank.
15: Yes, uh, five days ago you were talking about dementia, Frank. You know, uh, Joe Biden as it was in the Senate fifty two years ago. We we have not had we had a civilian president, Donald Trump. When are they going to act the continental protocols for North American
13: country in distress?
5: Neil! Biden put his arm around Zelensky at the G7. I was waiting for him to smell his hair. And also for Kenny, how come you didn't use the discount code Mirano15 while you were there? Save a bundle. Dave! Right. Why did you mention my last name last Tuesday? Uh, You mentioned my last name on the air. Please. I I didn't even call in that night. Somebody, I think, is trying to steal my identity. Why did you mention my last name?
1: I don't remember that. David.
22: Yes, a killer whale attacked a boat off Spain recently, and now other killer whales are learning to do the same thing. That's kind of scary.
14: Russ. Did Joe Borelli reveal the middle
11: name of Curtis V. Sliwa, king of the Barbie pockets?
2: Cheech. America, look what's happened to you. They removed the Ten Commandments and Pledge of Allegiance from school. They allowed girls to join the Boy Scouts. They're attempting to take your First and Second Amendments away. Senator Joseph McCarthy was right.
16: What they did to him, they're doing to Trump. Rick. Good morning. All the immigrants coming into America, they should put them in the ghost towns. There's a lot of ghost towns around America that have plenty of housing. Robert.
8: Call or email your congressperson to make
12: fentanyl a Schedule One drug illegal as heroin. Stop the killing.
21: Rusty. Joe. Going to see Sam Hunt Friday night at the uh, Hard Rock. Good concert.
1: All right, Frank Moreno,
21: good day.